Meet Nico, a covert agent trained to survive Vietnam. Nico has a six-degree black belt in Aikido and family in the Mafia. When I put out the fires, I stop spills. We are being lied to by some of the most sophisticated people on Earth. You just made number four on the most wanted list. I know we fight out disagreements. How much money is enough? I don't need that kind of problem right now. Get rid of the problem. You mean mercenaries? These people have a warrior. Did you beat up on this little native man? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. We're talking two of the darkest and most cynical movies we've probably ever covered next week, and the patrons voted for it, so join the sleeves. <laughs> we decided on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover as well. Patreon subscribers uh, also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for officially over three years. There's something like Crazy. 70 or 80 bonus episodes, as well as our bonus transmission series where we talk about new release genre movies, which, believe it or not, they are still coming out, and we're getting closer slower, to them. but yep. <laughs> we're getting closer to them uh, once again coming out, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, even more. Uh, speaking of which, we do have a bunch of shout-outs to give this week so thanks awesome. to um alistair brown uh paul merrick uh chad o'neill Derek o'pearl joe prestiani he will be a big fan of what we're talking about this week <laughs> uh nathan and logan feldman so thanks awesome. to all of you folks for signing up. Hope you're enjoying those bonus episodes. Yes, thank uh, you. That's the one plug for the week. The other plug, as always, is um, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts and I see the stats, I see you right now listening, scroll down to the very bottom while you're listening to this. And give us a good old rating and review down there. It helps us uh, climb the ranks over at iTunes and find new listeners. And then uh, the last plug, the newer plug, uh, merch. If you guys yeah. like the uh, the uh, poster art that local Toronto horror artists did for the podcast, um, you can now get that put on just about anything that you want. You can get it on a mug, a pillow, a notebook, a sweatshirt, whatever you can think of. It's it's out there, and some people have probably bought it. There, some of you guys are freaks. Some of you guys have bought some weird items. <laughs> um, so... If, if you have any interest in that, it's uh, in the link in the description as well as at sleezoidspodcast.com. Whew. All right. The intro is getting a mouthful, but we are through. Welcome back. Uh, as always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys, free listeners, would have heard from us, and we had a crazy episode, a monster episode, with yeah. uh, special guest uh, hip-hop writer for Rolling Stone and Pitchfork, uh, Jason Buford, came on, and uh, he wanted to bring on some um, black exploitation, satirical self-representation, so we talked, one, Rudy Ray Moore, 1977, Petey Wheatstraw, the devil's son-in-law, which is exactly <laughs> what it sounds like. Rudy Ray Moore, 
He makes a deal with the devil to give the devil a grandchild uh, via his ugly daughter. If the devil will give him a magic pimp cane that he can use to get revenge on rival comedy club owners who massacred him gangster movie style. Yep, that um, was well described. That is exactly yep, it. That, <laughs> that is the premise of that film. It was wonderful. And uh, we paired it with uh, Spike Lee, uh, his sort of new millennium film from 2000 bamboozled uh, which was uh, among the most racist movies you will pretty much ever watch uh, very much intentionally yes um, and yeah uh, we had to talk about that one for over an hour I don't think I can summarize that in a log line for <laughs> you but if you ever wanted to see Spike Lee uh, visualizing a modern minstrel show uh, and Damon Wayans doing white guy voice. Uh, that <laughs> that yeah. is what Bamboozled uh, was about. And we had a lot of fun breaking those down um, with, uh, with with Jason Buford and and the history of stereotypical and, and racist imagery in American film. It was a, it was a, an interesting conversation. Yeah. Uh, but but last week for the patrons, we uh, we did a bit of a left turn off of that. And, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of felt like in prep for today's episode, you know, we kind of felt like we wanted to talk about another auteur, both in front and behind the camera. So <laughs> who better than Sylvester Stallone? Absolutely. We talked Rocky and Rocky 2. I don't think anyone needs a description on what those films are or what that episode was about. We had a lot of fun uh, talking about Sylvester Stallone again. And again, mostly it, 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 it was prep to get into this idea of, you know, sort of like the, the lead actor as someone who is in control of the film. Sylvester Stallone also obviously having written the original Rocky screenplay, starring in the film, and then going on to direct Rocky too. And uh, it, it, it was interesting to see some of his ego, I think, take over a little bit in the second one. <laughs> a little um, bit, yeah. Which is, which is going to be something that we are going to see uh, today, who uh, where we have uh, <laughs> returning, uh, yeah, even yeah, more than Stallone. We're going <laughs> to talk about some ego. Uh, we have a uh, special returning guest, the the champion, I think, of the podcast. That's I, I, right. I think you got you got overtaken very briefly by Perry Rulland, who has appeared, I think, three times. But I believe that this is Andrew's fourth time, and yes. so Andrew, reigning uh, champion reigning champion uh, our australian correspondent from the bunta vista podcast uh andrew how you doing i'm back <laughs> i'm back I'm better than ever he's holding the belt over his head that's right with no <laughs> mask on just a champion standing over dolph lundgren's immobile body <laughs> yes shouting to the heavens very pleased with myself i was reading well, a lot about sylvester stallone uh, over the last week for some reason. I, I found like a column, a bunch of columns on like Ain't It Cool News. Uh, oh, from God. That was, that's, that, that was a scary place for a long time. That's, yeah, that, so that, that, that's the host of that, uh, that Blade 2 review where the guy just gets super horny the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but this was, um, this was around the time that uh, Rocky Balboa was coming out. So like 2016 or mm -hmm. something like that. And, um, and they said, hey, write in with your questions and we'll get Sylvester Stallone to answer them. Uh, and he did like five separate columns of just taking correspondence from readers and answering questions about like, what was the worst movie you made? And, uh, <laughs> okay, so, so the, the, this was, sorry, was this Rocky or Rambo? 
this this was uh, this was Rocky Balboa. Oh, this it's was okay. The, so this one, the so fifth, the sixth, the sixth one. Gotcha. Yeah. So the the, the one from like the mid two thousands. Yeah, the one where he the one where he came back as just like an old dude, and Adrian's dead, and uh, Milo Ventigli Vin, <laughs> I don't know. What yeah. Oh, <laughs> that guy from Heroes uh, is his adult son. And um, so he's like doing promo for that, but taking all these questions and uh, yeah, he's he's very very like self-effacing uh, and very like talking about you know uh, Saturday Night Fever. I was reading about Saturday Night okay, Fever yeah. for some reason and how he did the he directed the sequel, uh, Staying Alive. Right, he did. I I remember that. Yep. Which was no- notoriously shit shit canned by everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen it personally, but I I did see the reviews. Yeah, so uh, thoroughly thoroughly panned, and and you know he's he's all credit to him. He can absolutely look back at his career and go, oh, here's where I very distinctly went wrong in doing <laughs> the following things. And I also discovered uh, through going down this rabbit hole that Saturday Night Fever itself was based on an article. In the New York Post, uh, like just a long-form article by a British rock writer about the new Saturday Night, and he had written this very long-form thing about like hanging out at the 2000 Odyssey disco that is depicted in the movie, uh, and meeting all these characters. And they optioned the article and got him to write a script out of it based on his own article. And then years later, he was like, oh, I made that whole thing up. <laughs> it was like, it was the 70s. Incredible. Nobody gave a shit what you turned in. Uh, he's, he said, I went, out, I went out to the club one night and there wasn't really anybody there and some guy came out and vomited onto my pants and then I had to go home. And that just wouldn't have made a great story. So, uh, Yeah, so hilarious. instead he just... Had to spice it up. And so he, he invented the character of Vincent that John Travolta would go on to play to great accord, you know? Mm-hmm. That's unreal. Well, I mean, but today we're going to be talking about someone who has never made up a story about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of liars. <laughs> That's it. We, yeah, we're going to talk about one of, one of cinema's uh, most famous self-aggrandizing bullshit artists. I think. <laughs> I have nothing but, yeah, but and, respect and, for Andrew, it. Andrew, what, 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 what two films are we talking about this week? So we're talking about uh, Steven Seagal's first movie, uh, his very first movie, Above the Law. And we're pairing that with his first, uh, his, his directorial debut on Deadly Ground. And uh, I, I don't know if these w- would necessarily be the first Seagal movies I would think to watch. They're definitely they're definitely right up there in the like early stage batshit insane cigar <laughs> stuff, but you guys have already talked about some of my favorite ones of his uh, in the past. But mm-hmm. what I think really ties these movies together is first you get the look at Steven Seagal in his like original form where he's coming out. Uh, and apparently was a bankable movie star. You know, the yeah, movie I, can't, made money. I can't wait to discuss how it is that he became, got yes. into this yeah. first movie. It's amazing. Yes. Like, what a time Me period. Me too. So, and then you follow that up with him having made a series of successful movies and being allowed to make the movie that he wants to make uh, and everything that comes along with that. 
And in both cases, they're kind of tied together by this strange th- thread of like Steven Seagal movies that kind of make a good point, but do it in the worst <laughs> way possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah just, absolutely. You're like, I, I agree with what you're saying, but could you not do it like that? It's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, th- <laughs> like definitely it was, it was uh, re-watching Above the Law recently that made me go, oh, there's a... There's a bunch of takes in here that like modern leftists would agree with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it, there, there were parts that reminded me of, um, I mean, in, in, in terms of what it's trying to say of uh, one of our favorite movies that we talked about recently and just got announced as getting a Criterion release soon, uh, Deep Cover by Bill Duke. Oh, which yeah. Is yeah. Like, lo- where it's just Lawrence Fishburne as an undercover cop who ends up through the process of trying to take down drug traffickers, finds out, you know, he, he it leads all the way to, you know, sort of like the CIA and the Iran-Contra and, you know, like a, a lot of the deals with the politicians and everything like that. And that movie takes that premise very existentially seriously as Lawrence Fishburne, you know, being a black man and that, you know, the, the drugs on the streets, you know, hurting his his family and getting his father killed and everything is, you know, something that he became a cop to, you know, some, some idea of preventing that from happening. And he realizes that, you know, he's essentially just helped it happen. And it's really funny watching Steven Seagal take that exact same idea and make it about how he just really needs to destroy various public spaces um, <laughs> with people's <Yeah>. bodies. <laughs> yeah, you can you can have like the sort of holier than thou moralizing that his character does in this movie, but it's also all being delivered by a thoroughly unlikable character who is also <laughs> doing like a whole bunch of civil liberties violations and extrajudicial killings. <laughs> yes. Uh, and most of the time so completely weird. based on somebody just attacking his ego. Like it's got almost half the yeah. time he gets in a fight with someone. It's because someone insults him personally, not like they're a criminal of sorts or something like that. Very funny. Well, I mean, yeah. The, so the, the, the first movie uh, above the law, it has a lot of the real hallmarks of what would, what would come to be Seagal's like trademark. Yeah. looks in his in his early movies which is is part of like so if, if we're going to talk about Seagal the actor the person who made this string of movies with three word titles uh, <laughs> at the start of his career yes we're talking is, we, we, we already covered uh, two three word titles and we're talking about two three word titles today. again yes. yep and so, so there's something, I mean, like, you know, we, we all love, we all love Arnold Schwarzenegger for obvious reasons, like Sylvester Stallone, the big stars of that era, like Bruce Willis and everything. You can look at all of them and it's pretty obvious what the audience saw in them, right? Yeah. yeah. Like Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger, absolutely gigantic uh, freak show of a dude, but also strangely charismatic and obviously someone who like willed himself into that position. Sylvester Sloan, uh, as much of a goof as he can be and as many missteps as he's made, is also obviously someone who genuinely has a love for like cinema yeah. and writing and various art forms and everything, you know. Well, yeah, and, and like, one thing we talked about with Rocky last week, like he like there's so much amazing character detail. Like he, yeah. he waited, obviously famously, he said no one 
he didn't want anyone other than him playing the lead role because obviously he, I think he knew what he had on a character level, but also he completely understood like every micro gesture he wanted to get out of that, you know, to make that character such a sweetheart and everything. Like there's a real understanding of characterization that he has as a performer even and a writer. And yeah, Seagal, <laughs> I, well, I wouldn't I've, say quite the same thing. <laughs> have you seen, um, have you seen Rocky Balboa? That, that one where he's old? Yeah. 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 Because that's another one where, like, he obviously, you know, he he wrote all of that and everything, and he obviously had that deeply personal connection to it of the movie was clearly supposed to be about getting old and losing things and having people tell you that you're you're not cutting it anymore, you know? Yeah. And how you process that and deal with it in your life and how you well, deal yeah, with I mean, personal he, he, loss. He wrote um, First Blood as well. Right. Yeah. So... So, like, you know, you can see that that man obviously has has talent and has great affection for the things he's doing. Bruce Willis was already, like, a charismatic, uh, you know, leading man in a well-regarded sitcom. Um, and, then, and then he kind of, you know, forged a bit of his own lane in action movies of, of like, the sort of, you know, sardonic but also, uh, like, mortal action hero. Compared to like yeah. Arnie and Commando, you know, Seagal is the one that has always been absolutely fascinating to me because I don't know what the fuck anybody has ever seen in this guy. <laughs> like I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it in any way because there's all like those sorts of trademarks of his early films are are so consistent, right? Yeah, that yeah. it's really clear that it's his, like it's his fingerprints on the film. Definitely, it's him going. You know what's cool is when a cop comes in and bullies the fuck out of everybody in the place. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> or when um, like, if anyone steps to him, he absolutely must defeat them physically. Like there, there's, there's that's just how he sees any conflict. Like it's, it's, it's something to physically dominate rather than you know use any type of intelligence whatsoever. Really. <laughs> yeah, we were, we we were yeah. trying to theorize whether he got some sort of involvement in the writing on some of his films or whether he just ad-libbed stuff and they were like, well, I mean, I guess he's sort of the star producer, so we kind of have to do it. But like Hard to Kill has like an 8-minute like Buddhist montage. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I I think I would need to double check this, but I think like um even from the first movie, I'm pretty sure he's credited as a producer on Above the Law. Um, mm. Because, as we will get into, Above the Law is theoretically vaguely adapted from Steven Seagal's real life, according to Steven Seagal. <laughs> yes, yes, we'll definitely get into that. That The, the, the whole creation, uh, or how Above the Law came to be a production is really really insane and we'll get into that when we get into uh when we jump into above the law but the the other one andrew i don't think we've mentioned it yet on deadly ground this is the directorial <laughs> debut of steven seagal he had clearly banked enough money from under siege right uh to to have enough sway to produce write and direct a movie yeah, they, just, he, just he, he actually weaponized um, his contract for Under Siege 2 
to be allowed to direct this movie because they weren't going to let him direct it. And then he said, if you let me direct it, I'll do Under Siege 2. And they said, fuck yeah, go ahead, whatever you want. That's hilarious. Oh. <laughs> and it's the only movie that he ever directed too, which I just find endlessly fascinating. Well, because it, it, it was it was his worst received movie. That's what the funniest thing is really? that Andrew was just talking about like what people, what did people see in Steven Seagal as soon as they saw the most Steven Seagal which is yeah. on deadly ground. Like yeah. it was very heavily rejected. That's hilarious like, because I'm like the complete opposite. <laughs> I like, like I love Van Damme movies, right? Yeah. I, I think that, I think that Van Damme, like uh, in most of his movies is not doing any kind of like good acting performance, but I think that he is someone with an innate charisma. Yeah. Like I think mm-hmm. that he's, he just, he's just likable to me, you know? Whereas, yeah, just with Seagal, with these early movies, it's like the the character is always like this this surly, uh, glowering, like just perpetually kind of snarky and pissy with everyone. He's holier than thou. He knows better than everyone he speaks to. Above the Law is probably the one where he like. I think I think this one's a rare Seagal thing in the sense that there is like a single point in the movie where he's in some physical jeopardy for about right. 15 seconds. And I noticed uh, that. Um, like I was like, oh my God, uh, he's actually in trouble. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, and that, he, he, he's usually very easily dispatching of everyone around him. Oh yeah. Oh, I would say it's, it's absolutely a trademark of, of Seagal's movies, particularly like his, um, his pre directed DVD run that, He's he's just his character is never in any kind of danger or jeopardy. And he's excited about the violence too. There's always something like, "Oh, they're here. I get to play now." That kind of shit. Yeah, yeah, or um or in any given conflict, he's like actively egging people on. Yes. He's w- uh, looking so, for the fight. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what's so weird about it to me, uh, and this will continue to come up is again, this is very clearly, you can tell by the consistency with which this appears in his characters, this is very clearly what Steven Seagal thinks of as the traits of a cool guy. Yeah. Of a guy <laughs> a that cool everyone's like, wow. Man. Yeah, what a badass, man. He yep. went into that place and he egged a guy on into fighting with him while knowing that he was going to physically destroy him immediately, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, boy, uh, yeah, I can't wait until uh, I finally push this guy far enough that he takes a swing at me and I can break his forearm in half. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it, it's such an antithesis to like the kind of um, you know the sort of action movie trope of the character who like just wants to be left alone. Right, he's forced into the violence. Right. Yeah, the person who's who's like, hey, just you know, I, I'm thinking of like. Um, a Korean movie that I really love, The Man from Nowhere. Yeah, uh, great movie. Uh, same sort of thing. Quiet guy wants to be left alone. Wants yeah. to mind his own business. Like Jackie Chan's you know, famous for that. He's always like, "I don't want any trouble." That kind of thing, and then <laughs> yeah. he gets into yeah. a fight regardless. So, yeah, exactly. And it's someone who's capable of defending themselves and winning fights and all that sort of thing. But it's only when they're pushed to it. You know, like right. I think a lot of Van Damme movies are like that. This one, it's just he's he's actively instigating. Uh, instigating conflict with people while knowing full well, well yeah, that do, he's do, just going to fucking what? ruin them. On, on Deadly Ground has one of the funniest versions of someone attempting mm. to do that 
that I've ever seen. And we'll have, we'll have <laughs> oh, yes. probably have to save it for when we get into it. Yeah. But it's one of the oh, funniest like beats that I've like ever seen in a movie was <laughs> Steven Seagal trying to say, look, I didn't want to do violence. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, like, <laughs> really? <laughs> it seemed sure? a lot like you were enjoying the violence. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that being said, I think we are going to uh, jump into it here. We are going to start out with Above the Law. You don't live the way other people live. You officially suspended this guy. The feds come in, the doors close, nobody hears, smells, or sees anything. One man. You just made number four on the most wanted list. One obsession. I want to be number one. One rule. You guys think you're above the law. You ain't above mine. Nico. All right, we are talking above the law. The uh, or also known as Nico. Above the law. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the copy. <laughs> the copy I have. The title. Uh, the title card just says Nico. Oh, oh really? Wow. Also, yeah, there you go. But, uh, so it is, it, it is the 1988 American action thriller film written, produced, and directed by Andrew Davis. Andrew Davis, interesting um, little career. He also did the obviously un- Under Siege, which is you know considered sort of like the one of one of the classics. But he also did like the Harrison Ford, the Fugitive. He did. Um, mm. We actually already talked about him once on this show, where we did his uh, A Perfect Murder with uh, Michael Douglas and Gwyneth Paltrow, where he tried to kind of get in on that sort of erotic thriller of the 90s. Um, Andrew Davis is what I would call a uh, a, a king of the uh, a term that's been kind of coined in our Discord lately, of the, the three-star classic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, yeah. He, he never re- really made a movie better than that, but also I don't think I've seen a movie that he's made that's like worse than that either. He just kind of hung out in that realm where it's like, if it's on TV, in the background... You know, you could look up every once in a while and be like, this isn't a bad little movie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um, I had um I had the fugitive on the other day and I was just sort of thinking like it's a very workmanlike movie. Yes. Uh you know, it really it's like the pacing is good, (gasps) you know, it kind of keeps his foot on the pedal. Uh there's like virtually nothing imaginative happening in the way of like framing and cinematography or anything like that. Uh, there's nothing, nothing particularly exciting or anything. Like it's, yeah, just a very sort of workmanlike by the numbers movie. And I would say he also has that trademark of uh, lots of lots of cop movies uh, that are all set in Chicago, and they all s- star that same like little set of actors who were all real cops. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the guys who. Uh, look and sound like non-actors because that's what they are. <laughs> so yeah, well, and like, and and, I, and, and th- this has a really interesting sort of production history because it is the first Steven Seagal movie, and you might be wondering how did this dude, who you know, kind of he, he grew up in like uh, he was born in Michigan, and then his his family moved him to L.A. where he met an old um, uh, an, an old. Chinese man who essentially introduced him to martial arts and he worked out in LA. He eventually um, moved to, where, where did he move to? Was it, was it J- Japan? He, he moved to Japan. I believe he, he worked uh, or he, he was hanging around somewhere with yeah an old Japanese guy. 
uh, around okay. some type of dojo or garden or whatever who introduced him to some stuff and encouraged him to visit Japan, which he did at some point and uh, took up the martial art of Aikido, uh, came back to America and I think he met a, a Japanese girl in America whose father ran an Aikido dojo in Japan mm-hmm. and then he went back with her. And so like his claim which is kind of repeated in the movie itself, was that he was like, you know, a very young white guy in Japan running a Japanese martial arts dojo in like yeah, the he, 70s. Yeah, he, he still claims to be the first, like, American to run his own dojo in Japan. And right. that, especially, especially with the time period, that seems really unlikely to me. But, um, <laughs> but so, so, like, this is a... I've, I've seen both these movies a whole bunch of times, but um, I've, I was trying to do a little reading before this one, right? And I found this profile uh, in the LA Times from 1988, and it's this absurdly long profile where someone has spent like a week uh, just cruising around with Steven Seagal and listening to him talk absolute shit. And this, this gives you an idea of this whole thing that has happened with him because I'm sure that, uh, that what you're referring to here, uh, Josh is like the fact that he had some kind of association with Michael Ovitz. Yes. Who was the leader of the creative artists agency, uh, and was considered like the most powerful agent in Hollywood through like the eighties. Yeah. Uh, he went on, he went on to run like Disney, at some point, he was um, Michael Eisner's successor at Disney briefly. Yep. So, big time Hollywood dude. And, and the story is that, you know, he, he got Seagal into movies. Although, there are a few different versions of that story. But if I may read to you a little bit from this profile. You and it will it. Give, you a bit of, give you a bit of an idea of what kind of push he was getting yep. before he had even made a movie. Right? Yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> So this is from this 1988 profile. Tall and lean with the rough good looks of a daredevil jet pilot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Steven Seagal is more than just a six foot four martial arts wizard who can flip a man five feet in the air with a flick of his wrist. His fans proclaim that he's a star waiting to be born. And let's talk fans. Seagal has an enthusiastic <laughs> film studio booster, Warner Brothers president, Terry Semmel, a mega potent Hollywood agent pal, Michael Ovitz, the fearsome leader of Creative Artists Agency, and a high-profile public relations firm to go along with a model starlet wife, Kelly LeBrock. But how does a virtual unknown suddenly emerge with a starring role and a story credit in a studio film? How's this for an answer? Make sure your agent is Mike Ovitz. According to many accounts, the chief of CAA, Hollywood's leading talent agency, is not only a longtime martial arts enthusiast, but actually studied with Seagal. As they became friendly, the idea of Seagal as an action hero began to take shape. Now, something that's not really explained in detail here is a thing that is, as far as I know, the sort of commonly accepted version of Seagal's origin story, which is that Mike Ovitz made a bet. Yep with somebody else that he could turn anyone into an action star. That's yeah. That's what I read too. That's the one I'm going to believe. So yes. Yeah. So, yes. so my, my, Michael, Michael Ovitz, Seagal's career is a flex by a Hollywood agent who said I could turn 
anyone into an action star. I don't care who it is. <laughs> and then he created a monster <laughs> that he could not control. <laughs> he absolutely did. And they had s- several public partings later on. Um, but yeah, he, he bet that he could make anyone a star, including his very uncharismatic martial arts instructor. <laughs> but according to, this is back to the profile. According to Seagal's account, once execs at Warner's got interested, they made quite a sales pitch. <laughs> when I met with Terry Semmel and Mark Canton, they told me, we'd like to make you part of the family here. They explained that they'd acquired a ton of material for Clint Eastwood, but that he wasn't getting any younger and he wanted to do a lot more projects on his own. That's when they said, we'd like to see you take his place. We think you can be the next Eastwood. (laughs) Then they gave me a pile of scripts and basically said, pick one and we'll do it with you. Did Warners really give this unknown martial arts pro carte blanche? Semmel's description of their encounter was somewhat less vivid. Quote, I don't think it was a matter of anyone replacing Clint. (laughs) 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 He's gone far beyond being just an action star, Semmel said. But when you do look at action stars, it's a very short list. Stallone, Norris, Schwarzenegger, maybe a couple of others. The key question was always, who is that rare young guy coming up who can handle those physical roles? We think Stephen could be it. He, Samuel searched for the right words. Stephen seems to exude this enormous sense of focus and intensity. He has this serious look that, well, when you look at him, you see danger. (laughs) <laughs> and of course, the script that he chose from the big pile of scripts was above the law. Which yeah, he which, we saw which, which by the way, was a, uh, he was, Seagal was at least right in the sense that that was a screenplay that was uh, originally written in-house by Warner Brothers for Clint Eastwood at the time. <laughs> okay. So they, uh, b- b- so b- they... B- before they rewrote it to, uh, <laughs> because obviously, um, Andrew Davis and Seagal together, they obviously got story and, and, and writing credit on it because they completely overhauled it to be um, in, in, in part literally about Seagal's backstory and everything like that. Like the, literally the movie opens on childhood pictures of Steven right. Seagal. And then he's like, I was 17 training with the masters. And then it shows him like taking on I was four guys at the same time, but in a training. <laughs> like, yeah, it's hilarious. He's doing those amazing like bullshit Aikido demonstrations. Actually, Speaking sorry, I will, I'll retract that just to say, uh, you can just Google like Aikido demonstration and watch a few videos on YouTube and just have a nice little chuckle to yourself because it's very funny. Uh, they're those ones where somebody runs at an instructor who just kind of waves their hand near them and the person like does a double flip onto the mats, you know? Yeah, well, there's actually a hilarious clip of Seagal at an official like karate, uh, keto uh, conference of some kind and he's doing a demonstration where everyone was clearly instructed to just flip and go with whatever he was doing and it's the one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, yeah, that that is uh, apparently... That was what I read that um, when Michael Ovitz got Warner Brothers interested, they sent them a screen test of him doing that. And they thought they were watching a real martial artist. And they and they told him that, you know, he's like he's more of like a Jackie Chan than he is, you know, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so when (laughs) when they when they showed him when they showed them the video, which was a screen test of him, literally him and his students just staging him being the coolest guy you've ever seen. Yeah. That was what convinced them to take the meeting with him. Man. However. The 90s were However, I, w- yeah, I will say, in the footage that is shown at the start of this, you get to see another Steven Seagal hallmark, right? 
which is him like working incredibly stiff with stunt people. Because <laughs> um, like very frequently, I think in his movies, you can see him like the, the, the shots at the beginning of this where he's doing the stuff with like students in a dojo. Mm-hmm. He's still doing that shit where he's like pulling somebody in and clotheslining them across the throat as hard as he possibly can and like turning someone all the way inside out kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think like because so many of his movies involve fight scenes where he's doing Aikido stuff and like, um, yeah, like either pulling somebody into his forearm as he hits them and slams them down to the ground kind of thing. You can see in a lot of movies uh, that he is just hitting stunt people really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, and he has a notorious <laughs> reputation for hitting stunt people really hard and being very uncool about it. <laughs> so, Doesn't shock me, but like, it's just, that's got to be the, probably the most jackass thing you can do as a stunt man, right? That's got, probably got to be the, like the, the number one, no, no doing rule. Like just, this is off limits. Like, well, yeah, like, uh, or, or at the very least, it's the kind of thing where it needs to be agreed. Like, I remember reading yeah, sure. Jackie Chan's autobiography years ago, and he talked about how he was uh, one of the stuntmen for, I think, Enter the Dragon? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah and so... He you was can saying, actually you know, see him if you look for him in the movie. Hmm. Yeah, and so so the the stunt that he had to do with Bruce Lee was he had to get kicked and, like, go flying backwards through, like, a paper dojo wall kind of thing uh, and fall uh, from, you know, six feet or ten feet or whatever onto his back uh, outside of that. And I think they had already been doing it with some stuntmen and they, because there was this big drop, they were doing it with wires. And so they were kind of, you know, having the person go back through the thing and then sort of lowering them down, but they were going, it looks shitty, you know, because this person's kind of wobbling as they, as they fall down towards the ground. And it took uh, Jackie Chan coming forward and saying, I'll volunteer to do this stunt. And what I need you to do is, at the moment Bruce Lee kicks me in the chest, I need you guys to haul on the wires as hard as you can so that I go flying backwards through the paper wall, but then just let go. (laughs) Uh, So that he just free falls for the last bit of it lands on his back and he insisted in his telling of the story that the part that hurt the most was still getting kicked in the chest by Bruce Lee. (laughs) Um, But that's still a situation where like, you know, I I know that we all love uh, like 80s uh, Hong Kong Kung Fu movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's so many of them that I watch where I'm just like, God damn, that is some reckless stunt work. Right. <laughs> like like the stuff the stuff people do to their bodies just throwing themselves off things there's plenty of things that I look at when I'm watching a movie like that and I always find myself saying to my wife like showing her a particular stunt and going there's only one way to achieve that effect and that is by throwing your body like parallel to the ground off that <laughs> 20 foot high surface you know Yeah. but in all of those cases that was still someone that said I'll do it right you know, some, somebody yep. volunteered for it. It wasn't going, you have to do a fight scene with Steven Seagal and he's just going to hit you as hard as he can. You know? like uh, So I, I, think, I think that's the aspect of it, Jamie, that makes it the huge jackass award. Right. Is the, is the Lack of like, consent to being punched in the face. <laughs> well, and, and also part of, 
part of like stunt work and fight choreography and stuff like that is learning how to do those things without having to right, actually be like hit by a real baseball bat, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But uh, so this this is also from the same profile, right? And this is the thing that will immediately in the intro of the movie be be kind of referred to as as the plot. So we have uh, the dojo at the start and him saying, I went to Japan and opened a dojo. And, that was a good, and, <laughs> that was pretty good. That was good, yeah. <laughs> you just, you, you just got to do, you got to squint while you do it. Yeah, there. that's the key. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You can barely see. Yeah. Uh, and then we jump straight from there to, and then I went to Vietnam and then I was immediately recruited into the CIA. At 22. <laughs> and, yeah. 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 And I'm like, how, how old is he meant to be? What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. I feel like, like we literally, like in, in in the screenwriting process, he starts blending his actual life with like this fictional mythical super cop version of himself. And there's also <laughs> something that Seagal always does too, which is he's also he's not only like an expert in fighting and guns and like CIA training and all that, but he's also he knows every trade and craft known to man. Like he he knows how to yeah. weld. He knows how to do uh, like you know oil rigs later on. All all that kind of shit. It's just. He, he's the he's the working man, but he's also just so much more talented than your than your normal man as well. Well, uh, again, this is this is what would go on to be the hallmark of the cinematic Seagal run of movies, which is yeah, we, uh, which was he picked up a random derivative '80s action movie script about a cop getting some sort of revenge on some corrupt institution or yeah. that that hurt his family or something or other. <laughs> And, and he, just he plays a dude himself. named Mason Storm or Gino <laughs> Felino or John Hatcher. <laughs> and and uh, he, he does have the he, best names in the game. He uses all of those skills, despite the fact that, you know, he's kind of this, you know, he's a he's a, a fun performer to watch, but he is kind of like this overtly kind of dull performer who doesn't have much range beyond like whispering the lines and just kind of being strangely calm about the absurdly violent situations that he <laughs> finds himself in. One thing I noticed watching yeah. Above the Law, which I didn't remember quite as much when we watched Hard to Kill or Out for Justice, is but like even when he's like running, he's not really running. It's it's like this strange like like there is a part where he full out sprints in this, which by the mm-hmm. way, the goofiest formless sprint I've ever seen. Oh yeah, he's arms, got like, like spaghetti arms. <laughs> yeah, uh, w- which leads me to believe that he just really doesn't do much actual exercise. Yeah, he's no like Tom that. Cruise, that's for sure. Um, oh, is it, but like Tom Cruise, you can absolutely find uh, compilations of Steven Seagal running from all of his movies because <laughs> okay. he has like he has this wild he has this wild like. Com- like you said, spaghetti arms completely. Yeah. His, it's like his hands are, are just, he's lost <laughs> he his wrist joints. He doesn't close them. He just, know? he just like lets them flap around. It's very just strange. Yeah, and, I'm, and, and, and I'm guessing that's why they didn't have him do it like a whole lot in his movies. Cause yeah. most of these movies, including the two we're talking about here, like he, he hardly works up a sweat, like fighting anyone. Oh yeah. Uh, or, it's or, or, and he hardly, he hardly gets even like angry despite the fact that like, the stories are about how, you know, filled with rage and revenge that he should be. But I mean, above the law uh, has a part where Sharon Stone, the wife has to beg him to go for revenge. And he's like, 
uh, fuck, what's that? What's that line that he gets about the baby? Well, I just got home, and you want me to go to revenge already? Jeez. No, <laughs> she, she, yeah. Sharon Stone at one point is begging him to be like, "Look, this is serious now. They tried to hurt your family. Don't you want to get revenge for your family?" And like, this is clearly not something that a wife character would ever say in one of these movies. Yeah. But he had, you know, he he has to have that. Despite the fact that he clearly really wants to hurt people, he needs to have that uh, that fake call to arms or that resistance that he has but his line that he says at that moment is like you ever notice how clean babies smell like nothing <laughs> in the world has ever touched them <laughs> so it's it's interesting you say that because this is an aspect of Seagal that is touched on quite a bit uh, by Roger Ebert in his review of this movie at the time it came out but before I get to that so so the the, the hallmark here right is Seagal as like a chameleon type figure who you're just supposed to accept as being like whatever background training and ethnicity he decides that he is for that movie. Because <laughs> the, the ethnicity part is one of my favorite. He's either, a, he, he's Italian, he's Hispanic. Uh, sometimes he is just uh, part of the black community somehow in, in the neighborhood. And he always yep. knows the neighborhood and there's always a montage of him going up to people and being like, Man, isn't it great to be part of the neighborhood? Yeah, brothers and he knows every. Like he that. knows how to speak every language. You know, he knows all. And the everyone vernacular. respects him. Everyone yes. respects him. <laughs> so, in in this one movie, here are the following things that Steven Seagal is supposed to be. He's supposed to be an Italian immigrant, uh, a Japanese-speaking Aikido master who ran a dojo in Japan, <laughs> a Vietnam veteran, a CIA agent, and yes. a Chicago Vice Squad cop. Yes. Yeah. And this was all by he like all the of age of things. 25 or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, he's supposed to be, yeah, he's supposed to be like, like mid to maybe late twenties. And isn't he like 35 in this first movie that he did? Yeah. Judging by his hairline, I would say probably. Um, well, yeah, but, but, but his hairline got fixed in later movies because I, I mean, I'm guessing Warner brothers paid for him to get those fixed. <laughs> yeah. I think they just, they just stapled that thing on at some point. Yeah. So, <laughs> So in the LA Times profile, right? Yeah. They they make reference to how maybe he has some kind of connection with CIA. And they're like, oh, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't talk about it. Until he does at extreme length, right? <laughs> so they're saying that uh Wait, that, in, in the profile he says he was in the CIA? Okay, so so in this profile there's already been a little bit of reference to like, oh, and he also works as a bodyguard and he's protected heads of state and all, all <laughs> kinds of stuff, right? And so he's made a few <laughs> references to that. The writer hangs out with him for quite a while. Here's, here's more of this profile, right? Quote, in Asia, you'd be amazed how many people are connected with the agency. Seagal explained one night on the film set in Chicago where he was fighting off a migraine headache. A lot of the American military has been over there since the occupation and they've become very connected to the intelligence community. These guys were my students. They saw my abilities both with martial arts and with the language. My CIA godfather told me he'd never heard any American speak Japanese so well. I would say I was a prime candidate to be recruited. <laughs> Did Seagal actually work for the CIA? He offered a qualified admission or perhaps a qualified denial. <laughs> Quote, you can say that I lived in Asia for a long time and in Japan I became close to several CIA agents, he said, choosing his words carefully. 
And you could say that I became an advisor to several CIA agents in the field. And through my friends in the CIA, met many powerful people and did special works and special favors. You are just saying that you were in the CIA. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Seagal declined to offer many details, refusing to cite specific missions or locales. However, when asked about the authenticity of a scene in Above the Law that shows an intelligence operative injecting a rival with a deadly chemical truth serum, Seagal said, quote, that's not made up. That's something that really happened. Awesome. So... So basically, before this, this just reminds me of remember, remember we talked about it when we did the other episode and we did hard to kill and out for justice. We talked about how he, uh, he had that cop show for a while oh, what it was yeah. Called, yeah. where he, where he, he, he basically like, it was a reality TV show where the, the premise was that Steven Seagal is like a real cop in like Louisiana. <laughs> and eventually he yeah, it was like, like a, a deputy. It was called Steven Seagal lawman. Yeah, <laughs> yes. he, he eventually did another season, I think, in like Arizona. And that's how he met all his Border Patrol buddies that now he now he like writes like Q novels for them about the border and shit like that. Like all that all that stuff that he does now was started back then when he started just hanging out with real cops. But he claimed and the reason that that show you know, he claimed that he was like a real deputized cop during that show. And then because that he had graduated from the LA police Academy and everyone at the, everyone at like the LA police Academy is like, we have no record of him ever stepping foot in this building. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, so, and, and, and that was what he used to like, that was, the, was probably what undercover he did to, to get, just to know get this there. show, to be like, I can do a real cop show with real cops because you know, I, I, I trained with the LA police Academy and that's how I have to have a feeling. That's how he gets all of his deals. Like that energy drink he had for a while called lightning bolt. Uh, the, the, he had an what I, what I at would one give, point. What I, what I would give to drink a can of Steven Seagal's lightning bolt. Um, so so well, yeah, profile, now, right? now he's like an ambassador for Russian knife and firearm companies, like promoting their brand of weapons and trying to get them like legalized by lobbying <laughs> the U.S. government and shit like that. And why not? You know? Oh, my God. The man's got to eat. <laughs> the man's got to eat. And apparently he's got to eat a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> But so, so the writer in this profile kind of continues on from this point to say, oh, you know, like, like Seagal says, oh, but they won't tell you about my many great deeds for the CIA because it's secret. Wink. And, uh, <laughs> and the writer is like, well, you know, it was true because I contacted the CIA and the CIA said, uh, we never discuss anybody's work history with us and we will never confirm or deny that an individual worked for us. And I'm just like, of course, it's the perfect grift. You say that <laughs> yeah. you were in the CIA and then you, somebody asks the CIA and they go, I can't say that he wasn't in the CIA. <laughs> like, done. That's incredible. Oh, my so God. Per perfect grift. And apparently everybody bought that shit hook, line and sinker because he just goes on at length in this profile to talk about how he, he says that he was involved in like the Iranian revolution <laughs> uh, he says all kinds of shit. Uh, he basically talks about he 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 gives the report of the details of like some old pal of his who's some like Vietnam veteran is like oh for sure me and Steve we got into all kinds of action together. <laughs> um, you know we we did missions and the person's like like what and he's like you know missions. 
and uh, <laughs> just all it's very incredible. very strange. Yeah, very strange just uh, I, I wonder if it has anything to do with like the like the the opening bit when he's in Vietnam with the CIA and he runs. He has uh, Henry Silva is playing like a like a like a torture expert yeah. who is just uh, there to deal with obviously the um, the the drug trafficking business. He's not there for. You know, sort of like the the actual uh, war or military in intelligence that's going on there. That's one of my favorite bits about Steven Seagal getting very upset at the torture expert who's just like yeah. torturing this, this poor like, Vietnamese man. And he goes, <laughs> are you actually getting any military intelligence out of this? And it's just like, would it be better if he was torturing yeah. him for the military intelligence? And also, hey, it's you- weird that he has this like quarrel about uh, uh, fucking violence and, and using violence in order to get the answers or go, go progress the mission where in the next scene after it shows him, you know, return to the United States and he's become a cop and all that stuff. The first thing he does is go into a bar and beat the living shit out of two people for information. And you're just like, so what was the difference? Like what, what was your whole conundrum there inside your head? I don't really, don't really understand. <laughs> yep. Hey bro, are you doing personal torture on work time? Is <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> If you're not well, on the clock, work torture, torture right torture. now. <laughs> yeah. You're not on the clock. No torture. But uh, so, yeah. So basically this entire bullshit story that he's woven for this LA Times reporter is what he has written into this script. And he absolutely says to this reporter, this movie is based on my life and my deeds. He also oh my says, God. he also says, that this movie is his attempt to make up for the stuff that he feels bad about because much like in this movie where he is decrying the actions of the CIA, uh, he's saying, yes, I went and did those things. You know, I, I told myself I was, I was like being a good person, but really I just wanted to be a warrior. And I've realized much later on that, you know, I was doing those things for myself and they were actually, it was actually bad to go and do all of those cool kick-ass assassinations. I'm shocked that he even had that revelation. <laughs> so so him writing himself as the hero into the plot of this stupid movie is his attempt to make up for whatever All uh, his war, CIA crimes war crimes he claims to have done. He's really a virtuous man. He really cares. <laughs> it is this is an incredible movie. artifact of... Um, egomania yes. 100% <laughs> incredibly absurd uh, how, like I, I think as well just the way that the movie is structured they move so quickly from so this guy uh, martial arts legend now you've got that in your head uh, veteran oh, we, also, we, we also have that, that Nixon speech thrown in where he talks about how Lincoln said no one is above the law Right. Just so you know, we 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 got we got we got the Rick Dalton pointing at the screen like in the first like, five <laughs> minutes of the movie. Yes. Um, and then he's the CIA agent. He's having his dispute with uh, Silva, uh, with his awesome Dick Tracy villain face. Yeah, Henry Silva is going psycho mode in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he's he's loving it. He's chewing the scenery. And, yeah, even um, though he's in it for like seven minutes. And then he's just like, man. This is bullshit. I'm out of here. And then the next shot is just him being in Chicago being a cop. And then the movie continues like that for quite a while until they're like, now let's bring that CIA stuff back in here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. A Uh, a lot of it is just like him, like baptizing his baby in Chicago. Like he's in like the Godfather and (laughs) everything. Oh yeah. 
Um, so he, this, he, he, this he's is... married to a very young Sharon Stone who gets very little to do in this movie. But, she but almost a hundred times more than he ever does. <laughs> and I, I was glad to see, though, uh, Pam Greer as his partner. Yeah. She was fun. Yeah, yeah she was fun. Just in there doing a thing. Um, so, yeah, like, like I was saying before, I read uh, Ebert's review of this movie because, again, very curious about what people thought about him at the time. Because when you're watching it, you know, with the distance and the context and knowing what we know about his career in general and how he seems like someone who is just perpetually full of shit, all that kind of stuff. It's very interesting to see what people thought of him like at the time. So this is from uh, Ebert's review. Some people in Hollywood think Steven Seagal is the hot new action star, heir to Eastwood and Bronson, contemporary of Stallone, Norris and Schwarzenegger. The influential calendar section of the LA Times carried a cover story more than a month ago outlining the campaign to establish Seagal in the box office big leagues. His stats. He's six foot four inches tall with a six degree black belt in Aikido. He ran his own martial arts school in Japan before returning to Los Angeles where he worked as an Aikido instructor and bodyguard, as the press information says, for stars (laughs) and heads of state. He's married to actress Kelly LeBrock, the one with the great lips. A studio executive was quoted as saying Seagal has, quote, extraordinary screen magnetism. With a build-up like that, doesn't Seagal's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with a oh, build-up like that, doesn't Seagal's first movie almost have to be anticlimactic? And yet the curious thing is, Seagal more or less deserves the build-up. He does have a strong and particular screen presence. It is obvious he's doing a lot of his own stunts, and some of the fight sequences are impressive and apparently unfaked. Yeah, that's him fucking clubbing people on the set. <laughs> yeah, he actually <laughs> punches and kicks his people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he isn't just a hunk either. He can play tender. He isn't and just he a p- hunk? <laughs> Roger Ebert, thirsty. That little ponytail, yeah. baby. Yeah. Like, again, I just just can't... I don't get anybody I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I, like, I, I do get on some level, I think, yeah. this idea that he, he has a unique presence. It is yes. something... I just don't know that I would describe it as um, necessarily, you know, it, it's it is it is notab- noticeably different, but I wouldn't say better, I guess, than like the kind of things that he's aping. You know, we were talking about, you know, sort of like a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger and like he does something that's um, interesting in a way that I find more. I don't know if baffling is the word, <laughs> but like but like he he definitely you know, his his brand does fit decently into that kind of derivative action movie. And when he throws yeah. in all those weird autobiographical slash, uh, I guess we should call them mythical details. Yeah. Um, like that that stuff is strange enough that I feel like there I, I get something out of it, even though, you know, he f- emphasizes putting in things that are what he thinks are cool over anything, you know, like... Yeah sensible characterization in any meaningful way. You know, he's, he, he doesn't care about that as much as he cares about at every moment sounding and looking cool. But his version of, for him, yeah, it's what he thinks would be very cool. Not necessarily what other people. He doesn't give a fuck about making his crew look cool or anything. It's just as long as he looks badass, then it's a good film. But but weirdly enough, he, he is so intense in that mission to do that. Yeah. That, you can tell he believes it on the screen. Oh, and definitely. In a way, yeah, I, I feel like there are moments. Like yeah, he, I think that that's how it sells to me. Like, I yeah. do enjoy watching a lot of his stuff when I watch him, even if I recognize that he's doing something that is not 
you know, really working. In That's some what way. I was there saying to something. my brother when we were watching. Uh, I can't remember which one we watched together because I <laughs> sometimes these blend a little bit. But I was just noticing that, like, uh, it without the sincerity of Seagal, and it, it just these things would not work the way that they do. It's just because he believes in himself so much to a fault, of course, but. Because of that, that's where that where the charm comes from. Like it, the lack of the complete lack of irony, even when something is completely stupid, is definitely what sells these films for well, me. Well, and and too in in the action, especially because we, we talked about it when we did Hard to Kill and and Out for Justice. But a lot of choreographers didn't like working with him because he would just essentially choreograph his own <laughs> stuff, and he right. would introduce these weird nonsensical details into the choreography. Where you know, obviously, he does something so incredible that no one could do and like in this in one of the early action scenes there's a part where he does that classic action movie bit where he's riding on top of the car right he's like on the on the roof of the car right chasing a dude down because he's he's the cop who's willing to go off hours to get the job done <laughs> exactly that's, you know kind of that's kind of the the, the 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 sort of tone that he's trying to set and he's willing to do these extraordinary things even though, you know, he's not willing to, you know, strain himself too physically. But he does ride on top of the roof of that car during, like, you know, like a chase scene. And it is shot, you know, by Davis in a way that it, it is a little intense. And then it's so ridiculous. What does he do? He does... Honestly, he does what we were talking about when we talked about uh, Halloween Four, where Michael Myers <laughs> does this action movie bit where he's riding on top of the on the roof, but right. it's so ridiculous because he's like this this like supernatural physical force. Yeah, basically, Seagal does the same thing where he 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 takes his hand, he punches through the passenger side window. And he just grabs the dude's neck and starts strangling and choking him while he's holding on to the top of the car, while the chase scene is still happening. And he strangles this guy for about 60 seconds yeah. while he is being tr like thrown off the hood. And when the car does eventually stop, because the guy being strangled is like, just stop. He's not going to stop choking. He like, stop the car. He stops the car. Seagal, without letting go of his neck, jumps off the roof and drags the man out by his neck through the broken window that he just punched through. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that is just like an absurd physical detail. That's like cartoon level shit that no one would put into, you know, another movie like this. I mean, like I guess you, know, you can say that Arnold, yeah, yeah, you would say that Arnold, make... yeah, you would say that like, you know, Arnold might do something, you know, physically ridiculous like right. that. But that comes with but, the campiness, right? Yeah, there, there, there is a difference because Seagal, especially this early 90s run, like they are very serious grounded yes. uh, in this movie in He's particular. He's supposed to like be they're, a they're, hardened cop in these like really, yeah. you know, uh, crime ridden cities, you know. Yeah, and, 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 and this, this one has that political element, but like Out for Justice, which was directed by John Flynn, you know, that that has, you know, that, that movie was one I felt like I would have preferred more because if it didn't have the Seagal isms in it, I feel like it would have just been this really tough on the streets kind of crime movie right. about like the, the community and the family melodrama with Bill Forsyth, who we found out behind <laughs> the scenes, he like cut all of his shit out because Bill Forsyth as a performer was outshining him and he didn't like that. And <laughs> whole bunch of so shit good like in that. that. Movie. Yeah. But yeah, but even like the violence in that would like John Flynn shoots that like dude's leg getting shotgunned off and Seagal yeah. like butcher knifing people's uh, limbs off and shit like that. Like it's, it's, it's so crazy. And it, and it walks that line of being like, you know, is this John Flynn's rolling thunder 
or is this Steven Seagal's cartoon mystical action film? <laughs> yeah, right. He does. Uh, he does cut somebody's arm off with a machete in this one. There's a yeah, lot of shit like yeah. hitting hitting people with cleavers and shit like that. That's something I, I noticed I, about Seagal too. Was that in his films, like like it's in it's in a lot of the action movies and stuff. But there, he does make them pretty uh, like brutal. There's a lot of bone breaking yeah. and there's a lot of really good squib work. Uh, and also characters say fuck a lot more than in other action movies I find <laughs> like fucking mm. is that that word is in like every other dialogue it seems um, which I did well, notice this is, this, is, this is a movie for big boys Jamie that's right that's right and that's the big boy <laughs> word <laughs> I just I I completely agree with what you were saying Jamie about like it is it's something about uh, the sincerity mm-hmm. of Seagal yeah where again like we said, the thing that is fascinating to me about him is that he believes that this is like the epitome of cool and <laughs> tough and masculine and everything, you know? And so watching somebody give that over so sincerely, it has this strange sort of captivating element to it. It makes me think of like, um, I've been uh, watching like, uh, I watched the Karate Kid movies again recently, like mm-hmm. the original ones, uh, John, John G. Avildsen movies, the yeah. director mm-hmm. of Rocky, yeah? Yeah, and and like something that I I'm always really struck by with Ralph Macchio uh, in the movies that he's in as a teen, like The Karate Kid and Crossroads and stuff like that, is that um, I always thought he was really good at playing characters like as a teen who were charismatic and likable, and you want to root for them and stuff, but they were also like sometimes quite prickly. Mm-hmm. And would do like quite, you know, could really just be kind of an asshole sometimes. Definitely, and, yeah. And some something about that sort of thing done well, uh, I think, really makes a character for me. You know, like uh, makes me think of uh, like early Tom Cruise stuff. You know, and yeah, things like sure. Rain Man and Risky Business and stuff, where he's kind of a piece of shit like half the time. <laughs> um, but you know, and that that does make for. To me, anyway, makes for a captivating performance because there is like a sincerity to it in a character, as opposed to just, you know, watching something where the character that you're supposed to root for is just a good person through and through. You know, right? Yeah. Whereas with Seagal, it's like he has the sincerity of the prickly kind of asshole thing, but he can't pull off anything else. He can't pull off like warm or funny. Like there's or moments where like he's trying to comfort Sharon Stone, like when she's crying, and there's one hilarious part where he's about to go with the cops again because I think they're taking him in for questioning or whatever, and he just like with like completely stoically just taps her lightly on the back and says, "Okay, honey, I'll be back," and she's just crying with the baby in her <laughs> arms and all that, and he's yeah. just like tap tap tap, all right, and then he's just looks, the looking scene. bored. Yeah, like there's there's just he is incapable of doing anything other than just being that that badass beat him up guy um and it's it's hilarious that he always still gets into these films where he has a relationship of sorts and and there are scenes where he has to kind of be the loving husband or something like that he can just he never quite pulls it off <laughs> well that, that was why i thought hard to kill was was so funny because oh, they eliminated yeah, that by that. just literally massacring his family yeah um, but then he still ends like, up having the, that like sex scene in the dojo or whatever so. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> i know I was, I was like yeah you've been in a coma for a while but as far as you're concerned this happened like a week ago yeah, right you know <laughs> you're right. already fucking this lady yeah yeah <laughs> 
Oh my god, man! That and and as you were talking about, I think before we started, that stringy like <laughs> beard that he gets while he's in oh, the coma man. for seven years. But that's <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, in, so in this movie, he's an Italian immigrant, and in uh, in the next movie, I think he declares himself uh, an entirely different ethnicity. In Hard to Kill, I swear to God, he goes into a coma and grows a Chinese beard. <laughs> It is. He absolutely has like a Fu Manchu mustache. Yes. Long, long goatee. Nothing on the sides. I, I, uh, I do love how often he brings up that he's Italian in this movie, and he he writes every person that he um, uh, fights with to essentially like be like like racist, a racist towards, towards him. Italian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, some some every, dude yeah, calls him like a fucking Italian puke. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Every everybody throughout this movie is like this Italian piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Does seem like everybody else in the movie is also Italian, but I guess that's not uh, really the point. Everyone else in the movie is like actually Italian, and it's just a bunch of Italian men telling Seagal that you know he's a terrible person for being Italian. Yeah, <laughs> but, the, but there's but there's another aspect to this, of course, which is that he's also included in his own character's story here, an element which I think came more to the fore in uh, Out for Justice, which was the, yes, I'm a street smart, tough cop who's on the right side of the law. And also I grew up with the mafia and I'm friends with all of them and they respect me. <laughs> yeah. uh, like, Where do you find the time, Seagal? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somehow uh, he's, on the, he's on the right side of everything and everyone thinks he's cool. And there's that element to this as well where like he's, uh, you know, he's having like a whatever, a cookout at his house. And um, yep. and there's all the cops there. Mobsters and cop. cops are both coming and being like, <laughs> and "Great <laughs> baptism." <laughs> yeah, that was it. That, for some Only reason, Seagal can bring them together. And they and they just like stand across from each other at the barbecue, being like, "You stupid pig!" And they're like, "Fuck you, greaseball!" <laughs> like, but this hot dog's good, so I'm not going to do anything about it right now. Yeah, they both just kind of go, "Ah, these guys." <laughs> well, we we gotta we gotta be cool for our friend Steven Seagal. That's right. We keep it together. You don't well, want yeah, to get mad. And, 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 and very loosely, if I remember correctly, he <sighs> he finds out that a a local Italian gangster is doing drug trafficking with the um, CIA torture expert there. He, he finds himself in a conspiracy because he finds like, like federal level C4 weapon shipment coming in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, and I love, I, I love to when, when, when he grabs it and he's just like that C4, my man, I, I, I know it. <laughs> I've smelt it. I've dealt with it. I know what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. expert I, did, I use this a little. I used this a lot when I was in the CIA, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like the, oh, the, they, they think, because uh, he's a vice cop, they think that they're busting these guys importing drugs in an engine block. And then when they get there and seize the engine block, um, they find out that it's full of C4. He immediately identifies it due to his, his shady past. And that's when we reintroduce the CIA element to the movie uh, because the drug dealers, uh, they all get arrested and are immediately released by the FBI. Uh, the F it, it's the FBI, I think, that tells them these guys are not to be touched, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's like, what? No one's 
above the law. <laughs> no one's above my He says it like four times in the movie. Yeah. He does. He does. Um, and so I guess as there's, there's two parallel elements at this point because he also uh, swings by the church where he sees he's, he's tracking these drug dealers with Pangria and he swings by the church and uh, the priest there wants to talk to him uh, and he's like, hey, you know how you're the man that everyone in the world trusts? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, I do. I know it. Check out these Central American political refugees who are hanging out in the basement. Uh, and he's like, cool. I, I like you guys. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, hey, hey, illegal immigrants. Here's my friend, uh, Detective... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> look at Detective Seagal and they all go, hey, what's up? And he goes, hi, illegal immigrants. Anyway, I got to go, father. And he's like, hey, <laughs> hey, you should come back to confession. He's like, ah. And then he just yeah, goes, he, he, he says, I'm a married man. I got no sins. And the cop says, you're a cop. You have sins. <laughs> yeah. Which is fair, which is totally fair. Uh, <laughs> so, so they introduce this uh, plot point of the political refugees and the priest. And also, yeah, the you're, you're, you're right, though. It, it, it is very like, um, like sudden and just very like there's no reason this priest should be doing this. <laughs> but that, 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 that's how they have to get that information to Seagal, because shortly afterwards, Seagal sees the um, the gangster that he caught in that car chase that I was describing earlier. He was choking the gangster. And that was where they found the shipment of C4 and everything. But the, the gangster actually gets put back out on the street by the FBI. And that's when he assumes that this goes all the way to the top. That they, <laughs> they, 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 let him, they, they let him out even though they knew that he was getting a, a C4 shipment. And there's a lot of him like just doing like pissing contests with, with the FBI guy in like the yeah. offices and stuff. They even there's, get that great, that great moment where they were like, you're a loose cannon. You've gone too far. You got to turn your badge and your gun in. Yep. You're officially suspended for doing unauthorized surveillance and illegal wiretaps and they uh, unlawful entry <laughs> and uh, you know, all of these things, um, all those things we repeatedly asked you to stop doing. <laughs> yes, and and that they didn't even include the brutality of him yeah. just like yeah. beating up. Everyone. They never mentioned that for some reason. <laughs> He's not being suspended for the four scenes of police brutality we've seen him do at this point. <laughs> God, all of those scenes, like because I I often I feel like I often mistake these two scenes because they're so alike. Uh, the scene in this one where he is looking for I think his own cousin. Yes. He's at his he's at his baptism and he's like, "Where's my cousin or niece or whatever?" And they're like, "Yeah, I think oh. I think it might be his niece because he's talking to his grandma yeah. and or his yeah. mom, I think, and she says it's to the granddaughter or something like that." But yeah, he he breaks into that bar and he's like, "I'm looking for this girl," and everyone's like, "Never seen her," and then he just starts like breaking fingers and they're all like, "She's upstairs." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, well, so so the scene is basically identical to um to one in Out for Justice. Where he just, you know, anyone seen Bobby Lupo? No, I yep. guess I'll beat the fuck out of everybody in the bar. <laughs> yeah. And it's exactly the same thing here where he goes in and he just starts fucking hassling people until they're like, could you fuck off? And he's like, oh, it's on now. <laughs> uh, do, just, do you know, do you know just, what my, my absolute favorite and it's related to exactly the point that you're making my favorite Seagal-ism that kills me every time I see it now is he walks into a space 
the people who own the space say, please leave. Because they know. (laughs) This is my business. This is my business. Please, please don't start a fight here. Because I know that whatever fight you get into, you don't just punch them and knock them out. You break them through my table. You break them through my windows. Just don't. Just don't start anything. And there's one that happens in here in a convenience store yes. where he, he he has a a literal Italian gangster hit squad pulls up. There's like four or five of them with machine guns who all shoot at him and they all unload their entire clips miss, because of they're amateurs. They all miss. Steven Seagal then gets the drop on them by holding one pistol at five dudes all holding automatic weapons. Yeah. And they all go, okay, okay, this guy's tough. He's cool. We're going to drop the gun. And instead of restraining them outside, he walks them all into a convenience store. And just before no that, reason. Just before space. that the, my fa- one of my favorite parts is all of the guns are down from these goons now. He has them at yeah. like with his pistol out. And one of the guys who has his gun down just insults him. Like he just says something like kind of offensive to Seagal. And Seagal just point blank shoots him in the chest in the middle of the street. <laughs> no, killing he says, him. I, I, do, I do like the line uh, for, again, just the sheer brutality of it. Um, he has he has all five of them there, and they all have their guns down. And one of them says, "Come on, fellas, he can't get all of us." And he just immediately shoots he him. Executes in the heart. that man, yeah. <laughs> and and says in what seems to be an ADR in line from behind, but I'll get an A for effort, <laughs> which is not that cool a thing to say when you've just murdered somebody in front of. Them. <laughs> group of people and it's in the middle of like it's broad daylight in the middle of the street all the public is watching him do this it's one of the funniest things i've ever seen and then yeah leading into the convenience store I was going to say, yeah, so he executes that guy. Now there's only four remaining. He's already beat them. All he has to do is like literally restrain them or call backup or whatever. But he walks them into a convenience store where the guy is like don't don't come in here don't come in here like he's literally shouting him to be like don't take these men in here and he says don't worry it's police business and then he continues to just break (laughs) the entire man's shop with the bodies of the hit squad he like throws a dude into you know sort of like the like where where all the drinks are held dude it's he like, like he chooses a, a fresh shelf every single time and just goes oh that shelf is isn't hasn't been destroyed yet throws a guy into there throws a guy into the freezer he just makes sure that every single thing in that shop has been destroyed and there's also this incredible shot of the of the of the storekeeper that is just as soon as Seagal starts fighting and smashes the first shelf, it's just a stoic shot of the of the shopkeeper just kind of like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, it's just, he's just <laughs> so disappointed. And I love that Davis actually put that in the movie where he was like, we're actually going to have the storekeeper react to Seagal's, like, horrible physical things that he's doing. Very yeah, initially, initially he, uh, he, like, does a Macaulay Culkin hands to the side of his head thing. And then from that point on, he's just like, oh, I know how this goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, 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 that, and that's the weird thing, too, is that this was like a, a like a coordinated like assassination of him. And he doesn't even get that angry about it. He just <laughs> like he's just like, you know, uh, you guys come into this shop. Oh, you guys are going to fight back. OK, I'm going to use you to destroy this shop. Uh, now you're all unconscious. And now I'm going to leave. Yep. And that and just that's another that's day the in end. the office. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. like to 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 Seagal, he he never like his heart rate just never goes up at all in any of this, despite the fact that you know he's found himself in like a insane situation where like you know people who you know were he used to consider friends and just suspended him and everything like that you know are now you know part of a conspiracy to literally like murder him and his family and Seagal just doesn't have him in it to you know get get to that point where he's just like this is making me very angry instead after that scene he just that's where he tries to just go and live with his family yeah, like he yeah. just almost got assassinated and he's not like, OK, I, this means this is real business now. I got to like finish this up. Uh, he it, it, like at, at any other movie version of this, that would be the part where he like hides his family somewhere and like goes into the basement where he has a militia grade arms uh, supply. And he's like, I got to, you know, I got to go above the law now or something. But no, he, he literally just sits at his family dinner table and is like, you know, not really much that I can do. There's some sort of conspiracy about like human rights violations in Central America and refugees and uh, a CIA torture expert shipping in C4. Don't really know what all that is, but um, you know, it's cool. I'm just going to chill chill out uh at, at one point he i think the only other fight scene he gets into during that time is is it's the bit where he's um fighting the dudes on the street who just like insult him oh yeah they just like sort of mildly annoy him so he starts like beating the shit out of them <laughs> and then the other one says something about like good job brother or uh yeah i think it's like two two he goes up to two black guys after and he passes them and he's like what's up brothers or something like that yeah. <laughs> It's such a cigar like, oh. moment. <laughs> yep, we're we're all extremely cool with each other. <laughs> exactly. We have an innate respect for you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess I guess the the way that the rest of this movie pans out is him then uh, tying the thread together that very conveniently. Uh, yeah, I guess at this point, once the assassination has happened, he then receives a phone call from his friend who recruited him into the CIA at the start of the movie. Oh, I love uh, Sharon Stone's, uh, why is the CIA calling you at 2 a.m.? <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, because I'm a cool guy. <laughs> you know, it is what You it know is, how the CIA baby. is, baby. Yeah. And, um, and this guy says, hey, uh, it turns out that the person who's running all of this and trying to kill you is the evil villain, Henry Silva, from the first two minutes of the movie. <laughs> what a coincidence. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> the guy you had a disagreement with in the intro. Yep. Oh, oh, about about the, the morality of violence. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, so, you know, the rest of it basically pans out as him uh, resolving this, the threat of this crime. But also, like we said uh, when we started talking about this, this is kind of the only movie where, like, Seagal gets caught. Yeah, you know he gets he gets captured by these. However, dudes and briefly, they get him. yeah, he, right, he, get he, does, he he does get that crazy set piece though before he gets caught, where he's like driving the car in the underground parking, uh, and he's like he literally like runs over a dude and then <laughs> drives through a wall, and that dude fly oh yeah. flies through the yeah. concrete wall and hits the third rail on the subway platform down below and like electrocutes to death and shit like that. Yeah. There's also a great shot of the car 
half the car like hanging outside the underground park. I mean, I guess it's sort of, it's not underground. It's, it's, it's above, yeah, but like, yeah. it looks like an underground parking area. And, uh, yeah. And, and the, that shot of even the car with the wheels spinning, like hanging half off and stuff. Like there's some decent little, little action beats and, and, and little shootouts with like some, you know, some pretty filthy squib work, not as good as on deadly ground squib work, I'll say, but no. like, you know, there, when, when people get shot, you know, there's a visceral impact to it, uh, in Definitely. the shootouts in this. Definitely. Yeah, that's the uh, it's the drug dealer from the start of the movie that he slams out of the back of his Dragula. So so, yeah, he actually gets captured and he's like tied up to a chair and surrounded by dudes with shotguns and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, and he's actually it's it's like the only time in his career that he actually looks a bit beaten up. Other yeah, than yeah. like in Machete, well, where he he played a villain for the only time ever and gets killed. Yeah. Although I, I I will say there is this hilarious twist because you are right. This is a scene where the dramatic function of the scene is that you know he he is being tortured, he is being captured, he is being you know he 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 does bleed like the guy p- breaks his nose and and shit like that, and then they drug him so that you know they can uh, so that he's he can't fight back and they can fight him even more. But the twist of this scene is that he's faking it (laughs) to make them think that he's been beaten and he's been, uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that he's in a vulnerable position. So that when they eventually, for some reason, they decide that, you know, okay, we're going to let our guard down because now that he's drugged, he can't fight us anymore. Uh, They let their guard down for one second and he just like breaks out of the fucking chains. I I love that his line, I think his line before uh, he breaks out too, and I can't remember exactly what he's responding to, but he says, you are too fucking dumb, you asshole. And then like kicks him in the balls (laughs) or something. (laughs) He just, he just tears the arm entirely off the chair. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then and then just murders everybody. Yep. Uh, yep. However, he does all like the thing that leads him into this is getting double crossed by his uh, by his old CIA buddy, and he gets to. Oh have yeah, his, he, he and he, he he gets the big monologue, right? He gets he gets his big monologue. I actually I actually have it here. If anybody would like to hear it, <laughs> I I would. I mean, I I I, I definitely was like. Damn, he just said CIA agents should be tried like Nazi war criminals. I was like, damn, yeah, Seagal. He was like, they wiped out entire cultures. I'm like, shit, Seagal, you're going off. Go off. <laughs> That's it. All right, here it is. This The movie has built entirely towards uh, Seagal's little monologue here. Yeah, which which is Seagal looking into the camera and being like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly what Andrew's about to read. Yeah. yeah. When I was in the CIA, yeah. Here, here it is. So he says, uh, he says to his old buddy, you know something? In Europe, they're trying some 80-year-old camp guard for Nazi war crimes. All around our country, they've got guys on death row for murdering one, two, three guys. And they probably deserve what they're going to get. But you and I, we know people that are personally responsible for the death of 50,000 non-military personnel. <laughs> Librarians, teachers, doctors, women, children, all dead. We've wiped out entire cultures. Damn. And for what? Not one CIA agent has ever been tried, much less accused of any crimes. You guys think you're above the law, but you ain't above mine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, oh, man, that I got such chills. A wild, such a wild line to say, 
not a single CIA agent has ever been accused and tried of a crime in America <laughs> because yeah. I'm sure that's true. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> a, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very interesting moment that like, again, uh, as we I kind of mentioned in the introduction that like Deep Cover, I think, is a movie that is very much interested in the exact same idea. This was something that came up in the late 80s, early 90s. People were, you know, finally, you know, coming to I mean, a lot of sort of American artists and um, public were kind of, you know, wrestling with this idea. And it's just so interesting that like Deep Cover is a version of the movie that like it bases its entire sort of dramatic structure around you know that that reveal to the point where you feel like Lawrence Fishburne's like pain when he has that realization versus this just kind of comes up near the end and he just gets to kind of like finger wag the other <laughs> guy in the CIA like that's the dramatic function is that like he's like you know what you used to be my friend well guess what yeah. my friend uh you and that other guy and me um w- we did crimes once <laughs> yeah well th- and, that's, <laughs> and like that's <laughs> And again, this is this is a weird hallmark of his character that will be repeated in the following movie. Is a person who participated in all of the things that he is criticizing other people for doing, and he's now he's saying that they should be tried and put into prison, but he's the one that's going to do it. It's it's weird yeah. to have this like he has he seems to have this uh, th- he wants to have all like the the quote unquote cool attributes that come with being like a CIA agent. But then, but then in this ending, he wants to also completely criticize them, but without being a part of it. But he also yeah. wants you to know that he was a part of it, but in the better ways, <laughs> I guess. Like it's it's so and, strange. And, and he was a cool guy yes. by being a part of it, right? And and now that he recognizes that he slaughtered, you know, fifty thousand to a hundred thousand people or whatever, but he recognizes it, so he's cool now. He's good, and he's going to help better the world. Uh, that's right. It's, it's by, so by, by, by doing various police brutality. Yeah, it's true <laughs> galaxy brain shit. It's amazing. But he but he recognized that he is he has done that and he's holding himself responsible and that's doing a growth. So, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. But so he won't be tried, but him. everyone else will be. Yeah, so he yeah, just he, uh, he, he he's now gonna kick the CIA torture expert in the nuts, <laughs> uh, shotgun uh, his various goons. He does get a really brutal kill on him where he yeah. like breaks his arm and then snaps his neck. Yeah, it's pretty good. And, uh, and then I guess the yeah the movie ends with him just again. He's like, gotta get home, <laughs> gotta yeah, get home to my wife. And doesn't he say that he's like he ends up revealing all the CIA secrets or whatever to the government. Yeah, he, he, he ends up blowing the whistle on CIA war crimes as like the end of the movie where he right. they, they have him in the hospital after he walked into the hotel covered in blood, almost unconscious. Yeah. And the, the, the senator saw him, the guy who's like federal protection was like trying to prevent Seagal and the then, whole movie. And then there's like a photo of like Washington DC or something. And he, and he says something like, uh, it's like as long as politicians, uh, mm. have connections with lawmakers and criminals. They can always remain <laughs> above the law. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> credits, baby. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this was this was, um, this was uh, Steven Seagal saying, um, you know, uh, d- destroying the CIA and uh, exposing Iran Contra um, <laughs> by essentially just destroying various Chicago businesses and public spaces. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so. <laughs> <laughs> when you Take really that, analyze CIA. like who he fights the majority of the time in this, it's it's very funny. 
And yeah, so thank this, you, this, Stephen. This would go like would go on to be such a sort of repeatable pattern for him. Yeah, is a uh, character of nondescript origins or whatever ethnicity he has picked, um, with some kind of mysterious background that makes him the most superior combatant in the world. Uh, he has also participated in all of the crimes that he is accusing other people of, except he's better than them somehow. He gets to <laughs> finger wag and moralize uh, throughout the movie uh, and not take any damage for the whole thing. And that, that became the Steven Seagal template. Yep. And he's yeah, which we are perfecter. going to, I mean, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about very much again when we move on to On Deadly Ground ne- next year. But for the uh, reductive rating round on Above the Law, which I, I think we covered pretty well. We've been pretty long there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, shit. I mean, I, th- I think for me, he, he kind of does have, uh, at the moment anyway, I mean, I haven't gotten into some of the ones that people kind of like, like less. But at the yeah. moment, Steven Seagal, because of this, the the sort of surreal quality of you know what he gets involved in in the writing room on these movies they kind of have a floor of like a three out of five for me right now yeah (laughs) Uh, where i just have a blast and yeah that's what above the law is gonna um get for me i do think that i maybe i i i'd have to watch hard to kill again i think i might have slightly preferred this to um Hard, hard to kill uh, a little bit, but I'd have to go back and and, and rewatch it and yeah, see. But basically, for, for all the say. reasons, uh, for all the reasons that we've um, said already, that this is a very strange movie with with a a, a very like um, like good idea for a movie that Seagal has to incorporate <laughs> every single element that he thinks personally is is cool in order to get the point across. And uh, it probably doesn't get it across as well as it as it could have, but you know what? I'll I'll, it's I'll part give of it why to we him. like I was, it. <laughs> I, I was very entertained start start to finish on this one, so three out of five for sure. Yeah, um, I'm I'm the same way. Three out of five. I think right now I slightly prefer Hard to Kill, but that just be, could be because I've seen it I, twice, and so I just remember more. Um, mm-hmm. I did find that. Like there are plenty of amazing parts in this movie, but I did find that the the downtime when they were just talking about the case was was quite you know just boring and generic. Um, that's to be slightly expected with a Seagal film, but I just found I it it uh, it was more noticeable a little bit in this one for me. Um, mm. That being said, though, there's still plenty of the the awesome Seagalisms. Uh, you know, he's he's still destroying convenience stores uh, to try to get questions, or just based on revenge, actually, in this case. Uh, and it, I love his endless contradictions of like, you know, I'm going to be the hero, but also I was a part of these CIA operatives <laughs> that killed thousands of people. But then I'm going to have the CIA. I'm going to moralize you on violence, yeah. and then I'm going to do a police brutality every. Yeah, 10 like he just—he's he is a walking contradiction of a man that has he he has such sincerity and, that uh, that everyone loves and respects, of course. Yes, of course, and he you know he speaks every every language that. Uh, that's ever been invented. He, he knows all cultures. He's one with all cultures. Uh, he seems to be like every ethnicity in the book somehow. Um, it's, uh, it, it, he's, it's unbelievable. It's very, very fun, very stupid, but very fun. And so, uh, yeah, three out of five for you. Uh, I, I think same for me, three out of five. Uh, it's enjoyable. However, I share, uh, Roger Ebert's criticism. Um, if you can call it that, 
which was, uh, he said, they've tried to stuff about 50% too much plot into this movie. <laughs> there is and a I, lot Yeah, I agree with that. That's really <laughs> what yeah, I was saying, where it kind of, it bogs it down a little bit. Yeah, and, and that's, that's why I think, like, um, I think you can really draw, like, a, a very clear sort of line uh, over time between this movie and then Out for Justice and then Hard to Kill, where, like, by the Hard to Kill point, there's a lot of very sort of... Um, uh, like campy stuff to enjoy about it, I think. Uh, the funny beard, you know, the yeah, the shots of Kelly LeBrock looking at him and going, oh, Mason Storm, yeah, checking uh, che- checking him the, the the checking him in his coma under yeah. his sheets and being like, wow, that's a big dick. Uh, yeah, at one point he's <laughs> even like he's meditating with those like needles in his skin and stuff like that. Like it, it's yep. you know it's got some good a lot stuff a lot sure. of fun stuff in there. Whereas I think uh, I think Out for Justice is like the perfect midpoint between those two movies uh, because it has him just like doing all of his swaggering. I'm extremely Italian and the mafia respects me, but I'm also a CIA super black belt bullshit. Uh, <laughs> him just running around, violating everybody's rights, abusing the fuck out of everyone, uh, acting like that. It's that, cool that and, and, and John Flynn of Rolling Thunder. I mean, obviously, that movie with uh, Devane and Tommy Lee Jones has like this incredible revenge climax where they are yeah. just like you know shotgunning like a like a, a, a brothel um, in all of their sort of post Vietnam uh, craze and pain, and they try to recreate that in, in Out for Justice, and you just don't again you don't feel it on a character level. But man, that John was because of Seagal. <laughs> yeah, John yeah. Flynn could direct the hell out of you know a dude breaking into a place with a shotgun and just eviscerating the bodies inside of it. So yeah, yeah Out for Justice has a way more impactful like climactic actions at peace. Yeah. Whereas sure. this, this movie, I think, uh, I think it's trying to do a little too much by trying to give us the full spectrum of like how Steven Seagal sees himself. Yeah. Uh, yep. which is pro- probably a challenge that was never going to be met by any one movie. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so I think like there are other movies of his that to me are a bit more fun, but I think that this is still very important because it's, it's the debut with all the Hollywood firepower behind it. And it really sets the template for what his whole cinematic run of movies would be about. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. This is Steven Seagal. Oh, This is like the, the, the homework lesson. If, if you watch this, you will know exactly what the structure is going to be for about 10 years at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, But yeah, that being said, I think that's going to wrap it up for Above the Law here. We're going to be right back, and we're going to be talking about On Deadly Ground. And this corporation... Find me a buddy or find me the man. ...has a big problem. And who the hell is this guy? I'd say he's company. Company? CIA. Whatever he is, he's a damn problem. Steven Seagal. Michael Caine. He'd need a miracle to stop us now. Just gonna reach out and touch somebody here. On deadly ground. All right, we are back and we are talking on deadly ground, the 1994 American action adventure film directed, co-produced, and starring Steven Seagal, his one and only 
directorial outing. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he somehow got a who's who of a supporting cast as well, yeah. <laughs> including uh, Michael Caine, uh, Arlie Ermey from Full Metal Jacket, uh, Billy Bob Thornton shows up in there for like a second. Um, With John C. McKinley. Who, who, who am I missing? Michael J. White is in there very briefly as one of the oil workers. Uh, Joan Chen is in here. Yep. Uh, John C. McGinley from Twin is Peaks. In here. Yep. Oh my God. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Thorson, uh, the dude who's Arnold Schwarzenegger's friend. He's in like oh. fucking every movie from this. Sven Ol Thorson uh, is okay. like the, the big bodyguard dude. Um, but he's he's an actor who uh, was like uh, he was. Arnold Schwarzenegger's friend during his bodybuilding years. So right, he just, right. So he just got him roles in everything. Does he play so. the guard in the mask? That's a good friend. Um, he he is Perry? the he is the he's the mole cop in Mole Rats who wears the straw boater. Okay. You know yeah, that I think, guy. Yeah, um, I think I. Man, this image. guy was in like every Arnold movie I'm looking at. Yeah, we we've talked about a lot of movies that he's been in. He's been in Predator, Last Action Hero, Running Man, Conan. Radial, um, but then he also just turned up in like, yeah, just just action movies forever. Red Heat, yeah, see, Th- he's, Thirteenth he's Warrior, like the Hunt for Red October, Lethal Weapon, <laughs> and that who's classic the guy, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. There's a there's a, a guy too. He's a he does more comedic roles now. Um, he's in Office Space briefly. He plays one of the like head <laughs> CEO guys he's, or he, something. No, no, he's he, he's he's one of the Bobs. He's one of the HR guys. Oh right, he's very funny. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah no, he that's, plays that's, like goon in this, which I thought was interesting. That's uh, John C. McGinley, who most people okay. would probably know from Scrubs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Doctor Doctor yeah. Cox, is it? Or I, I also remember actor. him in um, uh, Point Point. Point Break as well. Point Break and um, I think I think he was he was in a lot of Oliver Stone stuff too. Okay, like um, Platoon, like, JFK and, like Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah, I definitely uh, recognize Wall a ton Street. of people in this, which was surprising. <laughs> yeah, I mean he he really got a, a a crew together, and this was like a pretty expensive movie. I'm pretty sure it was like fifty million dollars. Like this was like a oh wow. Um, I mean it 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 ended up I think bombing. I think it ended up making something like thirty million dollars. And yeah, it did not get very, its money very, back. Yeah, like this was after a string of box office successes. This is one of the most like one of the biggest bombs of his career, as well as that's so uh, weird. Very negative um reviews i guess probably to some of once again he takes a a basic idea um that you know i think a lot of people would agree with but he he does like to do this very uh moralizing finger wagging kind of tone that he kind of takes on it yeah. and it, in in this one steven seagal wants you to know how much he cares about the the, the environment right um someone someone tweeted at us that when we were saying we were going to do this movie that steven seagal waddled so that al gore could run was kind of <laughs> like the idea of the film here uh, <laughs> well well the other and, the other uh, thing the other thing that's noteworthy, I guess, is that um, this is around the point uh, like Under Siege and this where, you know how we were talking uh, on Above the Law about like what people were kind of seeing in him. And I think that you can kind of see in his first couple of movies, uh, you can kind of see like why somebody would think he was handsome. Um, like wh- whether or not you're thinking of it as a conventional handsomeness, you know, he's right, still right. like a kind of tall in shape dude with like 
He's got you that know, stare. He's yeah. got a he's, he's <laughs> yeah. got a jawline, all that kind of stuff. Um, but un- the under siege uh, on deadly ground point is where he started to thicken out into his future form. I think. <laughs> yeah, which 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 is now where he makes di- direct to video like mega action movies where he like, and, like sits refuses in a chair to for stand. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So you know how we were saying that he's uh, he was a a whole bunch of things in the in the previous movie, the Italian immigrant, the Vietnam veteran, yep. right? Uh, yep. And in this one, I th- I think is he Native American in this movie? I think so. It, it, it's hard it to is say. So unclear. Yeah, it's so cause, unclear because he seems like like he definitely throughout the film is is always standing up for the Native Americans that are being you know fucked with or whatever, and he seems to like hint through dialogue that he has some background, but I don't think he ever outright says it or anything like that. It's very strange. Um, yeah. It, it's one of those things where like he, he very clearly, he has a respect for the culture. And I was wondering too, when he, you know, when, when the film does open with like the opening shots of like the, the Alaskan vistas of trees and mountains and like one Eagle soaring through it. And Seagal comes in like an Eagle on a fucking yeah. helicopter being brought into this oil rig. And he's got like his crocodile skin. And they do and this amazing foot to head shot where to reveal <laughs> yeah. him where it's, it's his back. And then right when it gets to his head, he turns around and it's just like, there's Seagal baby, the star. It's, yeah, uh, and, and it's he's incredible. like an oil drilling related fire expert, and all the oil, <laughs> also all CIA the oil though. rig workers go, "Oh, thank God, the environment whisperer is here." What they're there all saying, is. like when when he shows up, and his name is Forrest. Yes, Forrest. He also Tapp. wears just, like this, uh, this like Western, like different variations of a Western kind of coat with the I don't know what what you call them. They're like these uh, like fringing, yes. fringing, yes, um, except. Except that often it also is like uh, has I don't know I guess like uh, indigenous beading and stuff on it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah definitely. It's That's clearly a, it's clearly that, meant to be like you know a, he he wears he wears coats like that in other movies like Fire Down Below. Um, he okay. just inexplicably mm-hmm. has like a sort of knee length suede like Native American jacket kind of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, like in this, in, given the context, it definitely comes across that way. But like yes. you were saying, uh, compared to his other movies, where I feel like there's a lot of kind of dubbing in of lines uh, where, you know, other other characters or people in the bars where he's beating the shit out of everybody uh, saying like, hey, get that guy or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. In this movie that he directed, all of the ADR shit of like, people who are oh, like customers so or bystanders are all them going, what a badass. I'm yes. so happy he's here. <laughs> Dude, my favorite <laughs> so one, cool. there's this amazing <laughs> one that I actually re- rewound because I thought it was the some, one of the best deliveries I've ever heard of just like two lines. And it's, he gets up and it's when that one guy in the bar is, is fucking with the Native American dude and he gets up for the first time and everybody in the whole crowd just starts going, oh my God, he's getting up. What, <gasps> what are we going to do? And this one dude, uh, that's just in the background. You can't see his face. You can't see him say it or anything. He just goes, holy fuck. (laughs) And it's like, it just made me laugh so, so hard because it's so uh, distinct and like isolated from every other ADR thing. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's It's very funny. It's so great. That, 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 that collective gasp 
when the oh, guy yeah. who is like bullying this this indigenous man and he's like calling him gay and like yeah. you know doing some racist shit trying to get him to like drink the the beer and stuff like that and when when he says to Seagal, "Hey cupcake, what you looking at?" and the whole crowd just goes just fucked with Seagal you fucked with Forrest why would you say they were like he's got the deerskin jacket ponytail combo why would you say that to him that's a deadly combination man you don't want to fuck with that guy and by the way by the way this scene is also the bartender going forest yeah yeah don't do anything to my bar and when the fight breaks out there's even a shot of her going like god damn it But yeah, they they have they do have that beautiful moment when he arrives at the oil rig and the fire's happening, where he shows up, steps out of the chopper, and a cheer goes up from the crew. <laughs> yes. Like people literally cheer that he's arrived. Yes, um, incredible. They're like, they're like, awesome. He's going to sort it out now. Michael Caine is there. We are introduced to his uh, villainous um, oil baron, you know, who right. who Dude. is theoretically for the. F- he is theoretically for the first two minutes of the movie meant to be American. Oh, I he? think so. It's weird. It's definitely this weird uh, thing where it, he's meant to be the owner of an American company, but he just doesn't do the accent after a while. <laughs> it, it's it so clearly comes across for sure. It absolutely comes off like he just said. I I cannot be fucked doing this accent anymore at some point in the making of the movie. It really just comes in and out scene to scene. Yeah. But, um, so, so, you but, know, but, he, but, but also dude, he is like a cartoon like oh, yeah. guy oh, yeah. who runs an oil company who is absolutely evil, who is the he, most racist person you've ever heard. Like being like, I just want to like kill these Eskimos and shit. Like, like that's the kind of stuff that he says in this movie. It's brutal. Yeah. And then he get, by the way, I don't think I've ever laughed as hard. Michael Caine should have done more comedy in my opinion. Cause it was one of the greatest moments was very early on it. And it signaled to me that is this what this movie is <laughs> was when he goes, Aegis oil. We protect na- your national treasures. We keep them safe for future generations. The planet is our home too. Who cares? We do. And he's doing like that. Do you guys the remember PSA. when that BP oil guy, yeah, that BP sorry. oil guy yeah. made the big yeah. apology oh, yeah. uh, about the spill? He's doing that exact voice. And then immediately the cameras turn off and he's like petting the, the, the uh, deers or moose. I can't remember exactly what they are. And he goes, Fuck these animals. Get me a goddamn washcloth. <laughs> yeah. Like right after. Yeah, so yeah. that's they, definitely they the tone that Seagal is, uh, is striking, <laughs> which I actually, I, I respected that a bit because there are like, you know, subtle jokes in his other movies, but that was a straight up like satirical moment, which I found yeah. um, surprising, honestly, coming from Seagal. Yeah, there, there was a good sense of timing to it. It kind of shocked me when Michael Caine just like flipped on a dime like that. Yeah, yeah. And and speaking of like, like just uh, funny moments and one of the first lines that uh, Seagal gets is for, for $350,000, I'd fuck anything once. Like just, just <laughs> shit like that. It's like one of the opening lines. So you know what you're in That's store right. for right away. <laughs> in, That's just a progressive king. Exactly. In that scene, um, in that scene where they're shooting the PSA for uh, the villainous Aegis oil company, um, the, the onset director of the commercial is a cameo from Irvin Kirshner. 
do you know what? I saw him in the credits and I didn't realize that that was what he was. That was him, uh, him explaining the commercial to Michael Caine and then just rolling his eyes as Michael Caine tells him to fuck off. He's like, <laughs> he says, I, I know, again, he's meant to be American. He's like, I know what I'm doing. You got any other thoughts? <laughs> Keep near fucking self. And uh, it's like, thank you, American oil baron. He is essentially playing Montgomery Burns in this movie. Yes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yes. Definitely. Uh, oh, and just briefly speaking of that, that intro scene again with uh, Seagal, when he ends up blowing up the, like the rig or whatever he does to contain whatever oh, it dude, is he's doing. It, it's, it's, it's the coolest thing. Oh, it's a great <laughs> shot. I could not fucking believe it. I'm like Seagal, man, you, you kind of have a vision here. Uh, he explodes it and it's just a, a fucking image of Seagal, like basically looking at the camera and the entire background is the explosion. You see nothing else. It's just fire and Seagal. And Gigantic uh, I loved wall it. of fire. Yeah, I loved it. I was like, that is so like only Steven Seagal could, could actually direct Steven Seagal. He, he knew that and uh, he's bringing it. So the thing yeah. they're telling us very <laughs> early in the movie here, uh, in this scene, the old timer comes out and says, oh, there's something funny going on at the plant that's causing these fires. I think it's and some they're, shady they're, they're business. They're using, like, what, what's, the, what, what's the tool that they're, that's, that's going on? They're using, like, defective blowout preventers, like, intentionally, and he's saying that. Some sort of regulators. These fires, they, yeah, these, these fires are starting because they're using bad materials to speed up the process of building these refineries because if they don't get the refineries, like, uh, up and online, you know, in, like, 10 days, the rights to the land is going to revert back to the natives and obviously they can't they can't have that happen so the, so that presumably the reason these you know sort of accidents are taking place is because they're using shitty uh sped up um you know tools and materials essentially yeah yeah so so we set up everything in the first couple of scenes here right that we expect from Segal. um yeah, you you you, you got the, living, the evil living oil God. baron. You you got you got the the premise for why this is going wrong. You got the the living environment whisperer slash <laughs> uh, explosions expert yep. who's there to show up. Who also is just the coolest guy at the bar that everyone thinks is awesome, except everyone for the one guy. Him. Yeah, and what's incredible too about the bar scene is that eventually, because once again, you know, he thinks that he's a. Uh, you know, an, an Arnold or a Stallone and that, you know, th this is what that, that scene looks like. It's so fucking cool. But ultimately, you can see how it changes when Seagal gets full control. And the version of this scene is him playing the slap hands game with the guy. It is. Well, but, hold, but, hold yep. up. Because like, like you said, it's it starts with uh, there is there is a native guy in the bar. He's being abused yeah. by some of these oil rig workers which I was kind of under the impression Seagal was one of uh, <laughs> yeah. due, to, due to them showing us his job like two minutes before this. Uh, they're, they're Maybe using he rides in the helicopter with the CEO to the explosion site. So, <laughs> yeah. so they, so <laughs> this guy uh, eggs Seagal on um, and, and keeps abusing this native man over and over until he finally steps in. And like you said, the, the bartender slash owner says, Forrest, don't you break any of my shit and have a fight in here. And Forrest immediately makes a mental note that he must destroy every possible surface in the bar. 
because <laughs> yeah, he'd be the, the, the jukebox, the tables, the windows yeah, are gone. He, he one man wrecking crews, all of these oil rig workers, including like several 65 year old men. One dude comes up and he's like, don't fuck with the oil workers, pal. And he just, you know, immediately puts his face through a jukebox or whatever. Just some fucking yeah, old well, white haired guy. Yeah, while while saying uh, natives eight, oil workers zero. Yeah, so there <laughs> yeah. were a few issues. There were a few issues there. Like the first one is that he. Now we're remembering that he directed this, right? Yeah, and it, it, we're getting full bore Segal. He immediately is is fucking all these dudes up, but also he's throwing them through windows. He's throwing them through the jukebox. He's smashing every table in the joint. Um, he's mm-hmm. tearing the place apart, right? And in between uh, flat, flat palm chopping at people's necks and balls yep. breaks like a 70 <laughs> year old's leg, but he, but he keeps cutting back to the owner of the bar. Who's going, Oh God damn it. About every new <laughs> thing that he breaks. Yeah. And again, I have to ask myself, is this, is that funny to him or is it? This cool? is funny. Yes. This I is, think this it's is funny. A bit. Yeah. It's funny that Forrest comes in and they're like, oh no, he's constantly beating the fuck out of people in the bar <laughs> and also destroying the bar while he does it to the extent yep. that when he stands up to walk across the room, we all say, please don't destroy the whole bar again. And of course and I, he destroys the whole bar. And I love how we've seen this like in just the different contexts. Four the movies. Opposite we've context. seen it in four movies yeah. at this and point. And in every yeah. other movie, like, you know, people are obviously upset, but it's not played as this like satirical thing where I love that's the moment that Seagal gets his hands on it. He's like, well, I'm going to make this a comedic beat because I'm not a bad guy. I just like beating people up in public spaces. That's all. Uh, well, yeah, because, so because the way that the bartender treats it, the way that it's treated in the editing of like it cuts back to her being like, oh, that like forest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like physical comedy. It's fucking hilarious when you really think about Seagal's mental yeah, state. It, it, it's, it, yeah. It's, it, it's another thing where he thinks that as part of his reputation, like it's like a quirk. Yeah, exactly. It, exactly. <laughs> it's a quirk. So he's a quirky guy. <laughs> so, he, so he destroys the whole crew making his way towards the guy who was instigating the whole thing in the first place, veteran character yep. actor, Mike Starr, playing the character of big Mike. He is credited <laughs> as, and, and they, uh, they have him still standing there, egging Seagal on throughout the fight. And like you <laughs> said, Seagal then says that's natives, eight oil workers, zero. And I'm like, I assume you're counting he, he's yourself. He's including himself in the natives uh, camp. He definitely yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I did not read that as, uh, as Seagal, like defending the guy who was like, getting beaten up and saying, oh, my, my points, my points count for him. You know, it, <laughs> right. it wasn't, it wasn't that he's very clearly putting himself in, in the camp there, you know? Yeah. Um, and so he then fronts up on big Mike and is like, Time, time to go. You know, you wanted to be a big boy and have a fight. We're going to play a game. We're going to play the hand slap game. Here and we so, go, Mr. Big Balls. Get your big balls out. Yeah. <laughs> and so he has him, he has him hold his, hold his hands out, palms up, you know, and he says, if I can, if I can slap your hands, I get to, I get to hit you. And if you can slap my hands, you get to hit me. And so, of course, his lightning fast reflexes could never be defeated by a fat drunkard. Mm-hmm. So 
again, this is a situation where he has goaded this person into this position, knowing full well <laughs> that it's going, yeah, that it's going to result in him just beating the living fuck out of this dude. He wins all of the slap exchanges and punches this man extremely hard uh, in the stomach, forcing him to writhe around on the ground and puke in front of everybody who goes, <laughs> oh, gross. Uh, and then on the on the last one, he's, he slaps his hands again and gives him like a, a two-piece and a soda combo, uh, breaking his face open in the course of doing it. And Big Mike stands back up, his face pouring blood. And Seagal says to him, what does it take? What does it take to change the essence of a man? Which is quite a turn for this interaction That's to like take at this point. That's like off of a fucking perfume commercial or something. That's the funniest shit ever. <laughs> and <laughs> oh my god! And, and the and most then it turns unlikely into this emotional aspect thing of where all, he got to him. Yeah. yeah. The most unlikely thing of <laughs> all to happen is that Big Mike says, "I need time. I need time to change." And Seagal goes, "Hey, don't we all?" Seagal <laughs> like literally beat the racism out of him. Yeah, dude. <laughs> but it's, oh again, it's again, it's perfect Seagal because it involves him doing exactly the thing that he's being critical of his own characters in his own movie of doing of right. of like yep. be- beating up on people that are smaller than him or not as strong as him or whatever it might be, uh, and then you know, getting them to this point where he's just pummeled the living fuck out of them and then been like, now let me hear you with a little philosophy. And they go, oh, I'll gratefully accept that. Yeah, change their entire moral perspective. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so so he somehow manages to beat the living fuck. With a game of slap hands. Yeah, he beats the living fuck out of a room full of guys and then he he gets to walk away on this air of, haven't I been magnanimous? (laughs) Which is yeah, just I mean, absurd. ultimately, that scene is a perfect microcosm for what this whole movie actually is. Oh, he's yeah. doing that with the with the with the issue of environmental pollution. It's the exact same thing. He works for this company. He works for this oil baron, but then you know he becomes essentially over the course of the film an, an eco terrorist for the natives. <laughs> um, like it's 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 really incredible. And his his version of you know like a cool masculine guy in this it doesn't at this point it doesn't it no longer reminds me of the eighties action stars like with with his full oh, hand yeah. on it. What it reminds me of more I don't know if either of you have seen this. Have you guys seen Billy Jack or the Billy Jack movies? No. no, I've got Billy with Tom, Jack, but with, I with, with, with Tom Laughlin, and he, uh, his character served as inspiration for uh, Cliff Booth character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay, like that. That's that's the kind of sort of like attitude that that character kind of has. Um, but mostly, he's known for wearing. He's got these. He's got like the the denim tuxedo on. He's got the jeans. He's got the jacket. <laughs> he uh, he goes barefoot everywhere, and he wears a Native American hat. And the whole movie is him, pl- this white American action star, like playing a native guy who protects all the counterculture kids who go to the hippie school <laughs> because they keep getting beat up on by the police and stuff. And he essentially just achieves social progress and change by roundhouse kicking and karate chopping the shit out of people all like, you need. in a denim jacket. Um, and there's lines in that movie like, oh my God, watch his feet, man. He can kill you with his feet. And then he'll like <laughs> barefoot, like roundhouse slap a dude's face off and he flies like 10 feet in the air and shit like that. But the thing that 
So like, obviously a little bit of that sort of like quasi left leaning white dude who thinks he's a native doing violence on behalf of social progress. Like (laughs) it has that element to it that Seagal is doing here. But not only that Laughlin was just as much of an egomaniac and he ended up directing all three Billy Jack films, including uh, the third one, which was the trial of Billy Jack. And it was a courtroom drama <laughs> involving Billy Jack. And it was three hours long. Dude, that Amazing. is um, next level. It, it, yeah, it, it like in, in the whole series is just a, a vanity project of this dude asserting how politically important he is by being the coolest guy doing action in the room. And that's exactly the feeling I got watching this. And I was sitting there going, no, no other person has wanted to be tried to do Billy Jack since this dude did it in the seventies. And (laughs) it immediately jumped this movie in my estimation uh, in the Seagal canon, because I was like, this is just an incredibly singular thing that it takes a special brain a special <laughs> oh, amount yeah. of power and money and, uh, you know, Position to be able life. to do something like this. Yeah. And yeah. So I was just like, as soon as I found out that that's what this movie was, I was entirely on board with every yep. stupid thing that happens in it. And no, the stupider it got, the more I liked it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. It, it- it also has like a, um, I think the the plot is a lot more streamlined than say above the yeah. law. Um, Definitely, it's it's probably got. I a mean, little- shit, it's it's even more stylish sometimes. There's stuff it, in here that's is. genuinely beautiful with the location work and stuff. Yeah, I was oh, surprised yeah, I mean, like, at how good Seagal's eye actually was. <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, as far as like yeah the location works and the work and the shots of. Uh, you know the the mountain ranges and everything. Very yeah. nice stuff. But, um, like later well, on, I mean, there's yeah, some he, really he cool used, like matte used, uh, stuff that I found he, really yeah, effective. He, he used Walter Hill's cinematographer on this too. The guy who shot Cobra, Long Riders, right. Forty Eight Hours. Yeah. Uh. So it's it's a it's a it's a good looking film. And uh, yeah, I mean, like shit of of them doing that like chase through the mountains on horseback. Yeah, and they have it looks that like an awesome, old like western uh, movie shot where they jump the cliff and it's completely like a side profile kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it had to have been a matte painting thing. I think no so. Way they could have done that. Yeah, definitely. But it looks. I just loved the the image, and then it's kind of cool because they set up like a dynamite or, or or some type of trap so that the the cliff falls down and the guys can't get over it themselves, like the people chasing them. So like, there's some yeah. some some decent action beats for sure. Yeah. Well, and and not only is there like. Um, you know, we'll we'll get into some of the specifics as we get in here, but like there there's a lot of very uh, Rambo First Blood inspired kind of like oh, yeah. action where we where we when we when we talked about that movie, we talked about how like the way that Stallone is shot, he's almost sometimes like in the forest scenes, he can almost be like a slasher villain. <laughs> like he yeah. just like pops up and you know has a trap or kills someone. There's a lot of First Blood uh, inspired stuff yeah. happening in this. There's like a wired shotgun and stuff like horrifying. That like squib work and violence like yeah. to the extent that I've never seen in a cigar like he really went unhinged he was like I really want to destroy these people's bodies and you yeah. see it all on screen but in between shots of me becoming one with nature and peace yes. Yes. and 
Like, like that's that is the 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 back and forth that takes place in this movie. It's yep. like Seagal is the ultimate badass in the room who was willing to go that extra mile to rip someone's limb off <laughs> to you know achieve some sort of uh, you know balance in the world. Yeah. But then also you know he is a very spiritual man, and that that bit. Like when, when he gets to spend, he gets betrayed and he spends some time in like the native camp in Alaska and goes and on things the like vision that. quest. He yes. goes on the vision that quest was the moment. He fights a bear. Dude, Bart the bear. <laughs> Hell yeah. Star of the edge. Well, <laughs> well they, um, uh, this is where I think the, while the plot also has several things going on, it's a lot more linear than, uh, than like yeah. above the law in that they're not trying to have parallel things going at the same time. They say, He's doing work on the oil rig. He gets told by his old pal that there's something shifty going on. He doesn't really listen to him. Uh, yes. until well, no, he, 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 he goes and steals the classified floppy disks, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and this is also uh, a repeating thread in Seagal movies is uh, having an, an old guy character who can be beaten up so that he can be mad about it and take revenge. But then Seagal doesn't yes. have to get beaten up. That's um, it's the Harry Dean Stanton role in Fire Down Below. Uh, yeah. And and so, yeah, his... his R- old, really brutal torture scene where they're just torturing this old man. Yeah, with like a <laughs> pipe cutter and shit. Um, they're yeah. just smashing up Why? his fingers and garroting him. It even looks like him. they go near his crotch too at one point, which is like just an added detail of gross (laughs) well and there's a great shot where they're they're twisting the pipe cutter like on his wrist and blood sprays and hits the window yeah and the ending of this scene is a slow push out through that window (laughs) uh into the alaskan vista where you see the beauty of 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 the of nature and everything there but in the foreground just out of focus is the blood sprayed on the window yeah (laughs) so it so it looks like it looks like the blood is like crying out of the mountains and shit and i was like seagal what is this visual poetry no, brother. For real, there's even another part that i was shocked that he came up with this was where the later on when he's uh when he goes to the to the native camp and and he goes through his vision quest and all that and he become he befriends them uh one of the older guys gets uh shot because eventually the the oil company comes in and then they they act as if they were fighting them so they shoot one of the guys to like show their you well, know, dominance yeah and, and, and that guy that 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 bob from the office um, mckinley he is just he he plays like the like he's supposed to be the head of michael Kane's security but he's just like a, a weird trigger happy weirdo yeah <laughs> like he, he just d- wants to dish out violence for sure he's just like torturing but, yeah, but, people but, but, but he's also Native bad Americans. at it he, he, ha- he has a weird tone in his performance where he's like he's trying to be like the psychopathic goon but that's just not really the kind of characters he usually plays so it, yeah it's just it's, a weird yeah, thing it still where, like, comes off like frantic and kind of not not exactly yeah, comedic frantic's but def- a good word. yeah yeah for sure um, and so, so when this, so when this, uh, this older native guy uh, passes on, they have this shot of these three candles, and they blow out in the wind, and everything goes black. And then there's this fade transition into a black bird that's flying in the next uh, yep. scene. And yep. I was just like, I was kind of blown away that I was watching a Seagal movie with that kind of smooth transition. It was genuinely impressive. Um, yeah, uh, his uh, John C. McGinley's character in this uh, to me is much more similar to his character in Highlander Two, where he's like I've never seen Highlander. Me neither, actually. And any of them or 
No, any of them. Yeah, we still haven't done them yet. Yeah. We need to watch that. Oh, because the first one, the first one's um, Mulcahy, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and we talked about Razorback on here once, didn't we? Razorback. No. Yep. Oh, yep. Or did we? Uh, yeah, we did. And Highlander Two is also Mulcahy, but it's like an absolutely notorious bomb. It's it's just. It's very, very chopped up and almost incomprehensible plot-wise. Uh, but McGinley's in there and he plays like a, a almost sort of like corporate bad guy kind of role, you know, which is a bit more mm-hmm. like what, what he's playing in this movie where he is meant to be a goon and he is meant to be like a hired gun and everything. But he plays it like, you know, uh, he plays it like a sort of middle management version of of somebody who's kind of pissy about having to solve this problem kind of thing mm-hmm. um and it, yeah like uh i i think he's great though like i i always like mcginley as like villains and uh this role kind of reminds me as well in i feel like he was in a uh, surviving the game i think with ice tea i want to say okay Rook, rooker Hauer, all those guys one of those uh uh, the deadliest game is man uh, kind of movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he was in that as well as, as just like a toady piece of shit kind of guy like he is in this movie. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so they, they torture um, Forrest's old buddy for these files. They did helpfully drop a line in during the bar scene where he did have a chat to his old pal uh, and he said, Hey, is my day pack still up at your place? It has all of my guns and things in it. And he says, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It's still in the same spot, the upstairs closet. Like, thank you for saying that out loud for the audience. <laughs> that's, that's really great. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to need those later for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and, uh, and too, he, he also drops, look, he's like, hey, I don't have confidential access but you do. If you went and like took a look and you saw something about these materials and these faulty uh, blowout preventers and stuff, you know, maybe you could, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you'd find something in there. And then, yeah, there, that's what's on the discs that he eventually gets to his friend who, you know, hides out for him. And they eventually think that, you know, he's, uh, that Seagal is actually involved with his friend in doing this, even though Seagal is at the moment, he's still in the, you know, just researching process. He's not, you know, committed to anything going on yet. So what do they do? They set a trap for him in a supposedly damaged, like, pump station where they fly him out there, and it, it looks like the bit in Cliffhanger. <laughs> when they're flying the helicopter out there and all the villains are in one helicopter together with their guns and everything like that um and they 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 lead him to this pump station where he gets in like his full like hazmat looking suit and everything like that he gets in there what does he find he finds his tortured and killed friend which is just a horrifying image to see him like yeah, because like this dude's the, like the oil and everything. Like not yeah, a just strong a frail old man. guy. Yeah, surrounded surrounded by dynamite, which they then explode from the helicopter while Seagal's forest is inside. <laughs> His body but just he sees flies. it just in time. Yeah, when that when shot is so funny. Out that explosion, it has to be a dummy. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's like ragdoll physics. He just yeah. that body <laughs> flies across the screen. It's hilarious. It's so good. <laughs> It's such a funny shot, man. It is. I, yeah, but, I, but, but, especially but knowing it's Seagal's character and he always plays him so strong and like, you know, doesn't usually get into too much physical danger. 
No, it's definitely a very different uh, reaction to an explosion than the one we saw in the opening scene where he's just <laughs> right. slowly walking away from it and engulfs the entire background of the frame yeah, and everything like that. For sure. But Seagal is one tough dude, you know. So he's he not only does he survive that, but he actually also survives the elements. And uh, the, the, the natives find him because, you know, sort of like a, the, a, a polar bear is there and the dog sleds show up and they get him and they find him in his big old suit. And uh, they basically go, you know what? This guy survived out there for that long. He's got to be a native. Um, <laughs> so he, he becomes one with the tribe. They decide that he is the, the, the six spiritual successor of their uh, leader and that, that he's right. going to be the one who's going to, you know, do the, do the eco terror on, on, on their behalf, but not until he, you just, know, he has gone on this spiritual journey and there's like 20 minutes of him just going on this spiritual journey where he's going to heal up and afterward he's going to kill everyone. But at, you know, at the moment he's got to, you know, he's got to, he's got to recover and he does this whole thing with like a straight up, you know, uh, vision quest thing as Jamie was talking about earlier, dude, when he, that shot of him, uh, jumping of out of the water, just hit, Oh, that's great. That is great. <laughs> great way to end the vision quest. But I was, I was talking about the very beginning where he enters the vision quest and he just gets touched on the forehead by a feather. And then he just like faints. <laughs> like he just, he closes his <laughs> eyes and the vision quest starts. Next thing you know, we're at a, like a camp, like a bonfire with just a bunch of naked, women and men and they're all like throat singing and it, it's the craziest fucking thing i've ever seen in a seagull yeah, he, film. He, he, he literally becomes one with the land and with nature and with the animals and because and they said the bear like a was a tool oil, and that was like, made to be feared by man but modern men don't fear the bear or respect the land so he's gonna become right. that bear he literally in this vision he fights a bear and kills a bear to become the the bear king <laughs> in this fucking vision um and then, and, and then what Andrew was saying, and, he just bursts out of the lake like in the <laughs> slow mo. Just, just it's glimmering. It's like shining. All the water on his body. It's so funny, man. It's great. What I, what yeah, I, and, and the, oh, hold on. The one craziest part that we didn't mention of this vision quest is once again during this, I was like, okay, so he was give he was given all the money in the world, and he was like, this is what I want to see on the screen, which is just incredible. To <laughs> so me. good. Um. But there's a part where he's walking through a cave and it's supposed to be, I think, like that bit from Empire Strikes Back yeah. where like Luke is walking through and he fights Vader in that dream bit and whatever. I think it's supposed to be like, you know, again, it's supposed to be sort of like a like like a vision of what, you know, what kind of person What's are you going to gonna come, be? That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And 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 what happens is he sees a native, uh, a naked native girl moaning and gesturing towards her and the bed being like come come here steven come here and, and have sex with me <laughs> um and what does he do he looks back at her and he gives her the little like pray salute he gives her a little, like <laughs> i'm i'm sorry prayers up there is but no time spiritual yes there's no time for horny <laughs> we got to get some wisdom and he walks instead over to the little old lady who uh, makes him reach his hand into the water. And then when he pulls his hand out of the water, his hand is covered in in oil. Cause, so cause it's supposed deep. to be this visual metaphor for what the future is going to look like. God, Seagal. And uh, I, I, I just love that Seagal had to include a bit of him being like a Volcel King uh, yeah. in order to achieve this mission. Absolutely. <laughs> like there's well, no reason. There is to no time to fuck in. right now. He is, he is definitely one of those 
actors though where like um i i went on a podcast recently to like talk about a tom cruise movie and oh, yeah. uh cruising for a reviewing it's called and <laughs> uh like I, I was sort of saying that cruise to me has always played like quite quite non-sexual characters you know <laughs> like it, like it's it's quite rare i think that especially in any sort of later stages of his career that he doesn't kind of have love interests in the traditional way and stuff he seems like quite a sort of celibate character in a lot of his movies uh and that's kind of how Seagal strikes me in a lot of stuff where it's like he's he clearly considers himself as like irresistible to women yeah but it's so it just kind of never comes off like that in the movies. And what I what I really loved about the whole Vision Quest thing is that just as a specific aspect of the movie, it ties in so perfectly to again everything that we know about him by this point and the way he chooses to portray himself, which is oh yeah, he he's straight up saying that I went from CIA agent to uh, honorary indigenous warrior. Right. Yeah, and and like. <laughs> Like everything else about his characters in all of his movies, it is so unearned. He just gets <laughs> he gets like dynamited in the back they and just falls over. Yeah. They they <laughs> like find him. <laughs> they find him and they're like, "Oh no, this guy's legit. Let's imbue him with all the stuff." And he wakes up and goes, "Done. All right, I'm all yeah, ready even, to." Even, even though he was he was previously seen as second in command to Michael Caine, yeah. who they you know they and the EPA are all protesting him you know at his uh, sort of press conferences about this rig that he's building, talking about you know the environmental consequences of what he's doing, and not only that, the effect on their lives and their drinking water that's poisoning their babies and things and, like that. And speaking so they on his find first his diet- second in command in you know like the middle of you know sort of like the the, the mountains yeah and, <laughs> and they're again, like we, this guy is our chosen warrior we start this character with that line the for 350 thou i'd fuck anything once and and now within like a i don't know half hour 45 minute span with no real like progression that you can see too much he becomes this like spiritual awakened master of nature <laughs> and it's just yeah <laughs> it's he, great it's, it's it's just it's just completely unearned and like in the previous movie where he's like i was in the cia doing all that stuff with you but it's bad when you do it um, <laughs> right like it's the i'm i've gone from being an oil rig worker to like you said honorary native warrior and like <laughs> like you said he does he does dedicate like a chunk of screen time to both like being taken to the the community and then having his vision quest and everything and leaving but in the mm-hmm. context of like actual time it's like he's he's there for you know a couple of days or whatever while they patch him up and he has his little vision quest and he leaves and by the time he goes like um he leaves and then the the henchman john c mcginley and the other henchmen show up looking for him uh and then they say oh the old man's coming right at me and they shoot the chief uh, and kill him once again, an old right. man who gets to get hurt so that Seagal can be mad about it without getting hurt. We <laughs> got two in this movie. It's either yeah. it's either his wife and child or an old guy he likes. <laughs> yeah, and and I, so, I also love too Michael Caine's reaction to McKinley when he gets back. He's like, "Okay, so you didn't find Taft, but you killed an unarmed <laughs> native man. That's yeah. what you're telling." <laughs> and um, but like the the. But then when he sees, uh, you know, Joan Chen, who is playing the chief's daughter, uh, 
you know, and, and they hear that he's been killed, he says, uh, he says, I loved your father. Your father loved me. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like you met him like two days you ago, bro. It's been for three years. days, yeah. bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, and you were unconscious for the majority of it. Like, it's, it's, it, he, goes, he goes straight out of like mercenary oil worker to like, oh no, my father-in-law died. Like, yeah. it's just, it's just ridiculous. And, well, and, and, and not only that, that is, that is the emotional excuse for the actual violence that he ends up doing um, in, in the film. Absolutely. Because There's like, as lot. he finished, as, yeah, as that, you know, like very quickly it transitions to, this is where it gets into the, you know, the, the first blood aspect of the film. Yeah. He has a like background. Michael Caine, Michael Caine calls in some like uh, American mercenaries who like just finished destroying the Philippines or something. <laughs> That's what he says. Um, led by R. Lee Ermey. Um, from Full Metal Jacket, obviously. And he gets into like a series of fights with these dudes because I think at first he goes back to the old, the, the oil old man's house to go and find the proof. And he finds a lot of the uh, goons, Michael Caine's goons are like hanging out there. And it's like one of the first like major shootouts um, in the film where he oh, like, like, uh, like Jamie, uh, like Jamie said, when, uh, when they show up, he says, Ooh, some people for me to play with. Yeah. Time yeah. for me, time <laughs> for me to play. Here. Yeah. So fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a weird tone where like, you know, he, he has once again, a very in the screenplay and in the way that he's done, he's intentionally done it. He has a very emotional and angry reason to do the things that he's about to do. But when he does the violence, he doesn't go, this is for my friend, you freaks or whatever. Yeah, or, he's you know, he goes, he goes, yeah, he, he goes, ooh, I get to kill people. <laughs> yeah. I'm ex- like, it's cool. fun. Like, it's just a hobby. <laughs> now my and, favorite and part of the day. incredible, horrifying beats in this where, like, he shotguns a dude's chest out. Yeah. Um, and the dude keeps yelling at him after his chest has been blown out. Yes. So he shoots him in the head. Just <laughs> <laughs> absolute um, psycho areas. And the explosive shots of like when I, is this the one when they're in the the cabin? Is this yeah. is that that this uh, gunfight? Because yeah, yeah, this is this is the cabin things one. Things get just wrecked. Like the way that he set off these like uh, the the ammo explosives or, or whatever they do for on set explosions when it's like uh, a gunfight are unbelievable. Like there's just there's just broken statues going everywhere. Windows are being smashed. Like it's the squib work is is unbelievable in this. He just yeah, he gets I, honestly, I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm guessing he had to have learned some stuff from working yeah. with Flynn on Out for Justice because like that makes sense. The, 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 squ- the squib work on that movie is the only one previously that was as as crazy like, yeah a- as brutal yeah. as this movie is like when he when he's killing people it is it is almost like horror movie levels of violence like there's a there's a, in the big finale at one point he shoves a knife into a dude's eyeball and then right. smashes his head into a wall so that the knife goes deeper into his head <laughs> and you see it you see all of that and like he again this is a thing where he's like he doesn't want to do this apparently apparently even though <laughs> even though like i fucking like swear to god um 
he's doing obviously like this 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 cabin fight sequence where he's where he's killing all these people and then these these mercenaries get called in and Michael Caine's talking about how Alaska is a third world country he needs to get under control saying insane shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, it, it, when when he does that big um, chase scene through the mountains where he's like setting traps and he's taking down choppers like straight out of First Blood. There's like uh, horse horse chasing. There's uh, there's an, uh, a dude he pierces through a tree and another dude whose chest explodes loads due to the booby traps that he's setting and stuff like that and you're you're trying to reconcile some of the beautiful footage of these horses and these amazing locations and some of the great like graceful stunt work that's being done with like the brutal violence that he's throwing in there but the, it gets to a point where once again there's this bit where like it's you know, are, are you going to get the revenge for us? Or like, what are you going to do? Like that bit with Sharon Stone in, in, in above the law. Yeah. And there's this amazing thing where he's like, you know what? I never really wanted to do this. I can't remember exactly what the line is, but it's something <laughs> along the lines of, you know, I, I never wanted this to resort to violence. I never <laughs> wanted it to go here. And then what does he do right after he says that he presses the button and a secret door yes. moves in the cabin to reveal like literally a militia ammunition supply. I love that the photo is a bald eagle as well, that he moves like in order to get <laughs> to the door. And then, and then when he gets into the room, he doesn't just like show his stuff off. He just starts reciting gun models and the ammunition that goes with them. And he's just like, grab this. We're going to need this. We're going to need that. We're going to like it. It's just a, uh, it's a great little moment. And it honestly lingers longer than is even necessary, which I like. I think he just really wanted to like show off, all the guns in that shack. Um, it's, it's very, very funny. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really incredible. You get this contrasting of like these images of nature in the wilderness yeah. and he being a part of it, fending off these exterior political corporate, like military forces. And he's just like the cold reality of this war or of this world, you know, is that, you know, sometimes you just, you got to do violence, bam, smash cut to armory <laughs> closet, bam. He is now like infiltrating the oil rig basically killing every single person he comes single handedly <laughs> like, like, like he's like a slasher villain with like exploding flying dummies and like really gruesome squib work and but, bone breaking and speaking and of everything, all this and not before someone, every single person he kills has to say, man, I'm being killed by the coolest guy that ever lived. Oh, well, yeah. as, as this is all happening, as as he's kind of approaching the oil rig and like taking people out and setting stuff up and everything, um, Ali Omi gets to have his speech because up until this point, as they've been having their chase through the mountains and everything, uh, they've been like, who is this guy? And they're like, right. We, <laughs> weird. We looked at his personnel file and it, like it was all redacted at the back. And um. You know, yeah, I, I, like, I think I think Michael Caine says something along the lines of uh, try to imagine the ultimate fucking nightmare. And that won't even come close to this man when he's pissed. Yeah. So, <laughs> so here's here's the little speech. Here's the little speech that um, yeah, Ar- earlier Ar- gets a better one. Oh, yeah, gets. this I was. Yeah, this is my favorite fucking moment he's, ever. He says it's so and long. And again, perfect encapsulation of the tone of what Seagal's all about, which is Seagal is the coolest guy in the world. And when he's not on screen, everybody else should be talking about how fucking bad Ozzy is, right? Yeah. (laughs) So he says, my guy in DC tells me that we are not dealing with a student here. We're dealing with the professor. Anytime the military (laughs) has an operation that can't fail, they call this guy in to train the troops, okay? He's the kind of guy that would drink a gallon of gasoline so he can piss in your campfire. (laughs) 
<laughs> you could drop this guy off at the Arctic Circle wearing a pair of bikini underwear without his toothbrush, and tomorrow afternoon he's going to show up at your poolside <laughs> with a million-dollar smile and a fistful of pesos. This guy's a professional, you got me? If he reaches this rig, we're all going to be nothing but a big goddamn hole right in the middle of Alaska. So let's go find him and kill him and get rid of the son of a bitch. Amazing. <laughs> like, dude, that the, the beauty of that monologue, and I, I think I watched it like three times. I just kept rewinding <laughs> it because I, I couldn't believe how long it went. Because with these yeah. kind of like setups for somebody's reputation, there's a certain like rhythmic beat that you kind of find when you stop and 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 just be like that's my definitive statement on the man and i just love that ernie just just goes he just goes and goes and when you think it's over it's only halfway over <laughs> until the point that he's talking about like some dude in a bikini with a million pesos circle. like yeah it's just <laughs> yeah. like it's the most random fucking thing ever and i i was i loved every moment of that that was it's probably the best kind of like uh reputation speech yes. action thing that I've ever seen Just in a re- movie like this. So rep- reputational yeah, exposition. Yeah. And then I also love uh, Billy Bob Thornton has a small little moment. I think it's after this where he's talking about how he wants to take down Seagal so that he like feels good about himself so that he's like <laughs> proud of himself or something like that. It's, he's, it's, he's talking yeah, he goes, about, he's talking he's about straight up gun. satirical at a certain point. Yeah. yeah he, he's talking about his stock. He goes, um, he's like, what do you think? Do you think I should have my stock in or my stock out? Cause I kind of feel like a pussy with the stock out, you know? And I feel like <laughs> if I killed him with the stock in, I'd feel good about myself. <laughs> <laughs> like that's straight up a great joke. And I can, and I can, it's, it's that thing we were talking about earlier where we can never really decide whether Seagal knows that this is kind of satirical, but in a, honestly a good way, but because he doesn't know it or not, we're not sure. It's hard to say like, if this is, ironic if it's completely sincere if it's it's very difficult at times to to tell oh yeah it's it's just it's all such a strange brew isn't it yeah Yeah, well because because he'll he'll throw in these comedic beats like that in between him like throwing mcginley into a helicopter blade so that he's his blood sprays everywhere like the like it's like the end of uh, last boy scout yeah and there's nothing (laughs) ironic about the violence like it's just brutality so it's uh, it's an interesting contrast. <laughs> yep. And then then he's like running through the the giant fires as he's blowing up the rig with his bandana. And also, I had to wonder that blowing up the rig, he is spilling the oil. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This can't be good for the environment. There's so, so many explosions, so much black smoke just coming into the air. It's so funny. I was absolutely thinking about that while watching it where I was like, the entire thing is, is this big environmental statement. And it's like, you know, when you see in old movies, like where they just, just put a whole bunch of dynamite in a building and nuke the thing for that, (laughs) you know, gigantic wall of flame kind of image. And then if you see any shots of it afterwards, it is a fucking huge plume of thick black smoke going up (laughs) into the sky. And there are like multiple points throughout this movie where they do huge explosions, uh, huge columns of black smoke. And then, like he's saying, the solution to the issue of all of the pollution that's being done by this oil company is to just blow up a fucking oil reserve and <laughs> rig and tanker and everything and kill in the middle of Alaska. There is a there is a nice scene that I like as it as it comes up to the you know the confrontation with uh, Michael Caine where uh, you know all the alarms are going off there's there's 
explosions and gunfights happening and everything. It, it almost has, in a bit of a way, a, a tiny bit of that like James Bond shootout at the at the villain's lair kind of yeah kind of vibe, sure. you know? kind of. And um and there's you know this bit where Michael Caine's there uh, and saying you know hey everybody in this control room has to keep doing what they're doing and everything. I'll go check on this thing. And he walks out of the room and the guy he was just talking to just kind of looks after him for a second and internally goes, fuck that stands up and picks up his jacket and just runs out of the room and everybody else <laughs> does the same thing, which again is a funny beat in yeah. the movie for, for a guy who's like, he's just paid to work at the oil rig. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. I'm not fucking getting killed by some psycho who's through here throwing grenades at people and shit like that. <laughs> A whole and it's bunch funny of because stuff's it works fire. as like a like a joke on their kind of small character level, but you know that the entire reason is just because Seagal wanted more characters to be afraid of him, which is great. It works yeah, in both ways. <laughs> I can't be here when he arrives. Exactly, the man himself. But, then, yeah, but yeah, in, in, in this in that big fight scene, you know, he he engages in all he engages in like knife fighting and pole fighting. He steals Arlie Ermey's shotgun from him and shut and blows his chest out of his back. And he does that like to like uh, even three though guys Arlie in this movie. Yeah, Carrot, and, um, bad, bad guys in Steven Seagal movies do have an unfortunate tendency to have him dead to rights uh, with yes. a gun, a yes, gun pointed like what straight Arlie at him. Does. It, it's the same thing that happens in uh in the in Above the Law when the car full of uh, goons from the drug dealer roll up on him. And they've, yeah. they've got like a shotgun and shit, but two of the other guys have machetes and, and baseball bats. And they're like, sure, we could shoot you, but I'm going to let my friend beat you up, see? And yeah. he just immediately <laughs> takes the shotgun off the dude. Um, I also yep. think it's funny that... Well, and, he, and it's so funny after Arlie Ermey getting that monologue too, though. Like Arlie Ermey is like, this guy is fucking like Freddy Krueger-ass shit. Um, he pulls up to him with a shotgun. He could just shoot him and he just walks close enough to him he just, where Seagal <laughs> just disarms him and shoots him. Yeah, he's like, I'd, think- I'd, I'd better immediately get into reaching range of this guy. <laughs> and even like he's pointed to him and he's like, yeah, make one move and I'm going to blow your head off. And you're like, you've been saying the whole time that the point of this exercise is to fucking murk this dude. What, yeah. what, what are we waiting for? What, where are we trying to get to from here? Well, he I need also to take you that, outside. We're, we're, we're waiting for Seagal to humiliate him. <laughs> he also has that line uh, at the end where he has Kane like set up on that that rope, like he's hanging from his hands or whatever, and he says the line, uh, "I wouldn't dirty my bullets." Like so, he, like I'm not going <laughs> to kill Kane. And it's just so funny that we've seen him shoot numerous, less substantial people than Kane uh, throughout this whole movie, and now he's like, "Nah, you don't get the gun." Like You're I just thought that it. was absolutely hilarious. Um, and then Kane also have this has this really disgusting, like filthy dialogue where he says something like, uh, "He's oh, talking man. to Forrest, and he says like, we fucked better looking hookers in Bangkok.'" <laughs> Like shit, like yeah, because he's just the most racist man. <laughs> yeah, so like it's so fucking bad. Except, and, 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 except and so again. he goes, he goes, you've you've made millions suffer. You're scum of the earth. And then he like lassos Michael Caine, right, and holds him over the oil. <laughs> and instead of shooting him and executing him, he does he shoot it or does he, he cut? He shoots the, the rope. lasso. Rope. I think he shoots, he shoots the, the rope. rope. Yeah, instead of shooting Kane, because that's where he says the dirty my bullets line. Because because I wouldn't dirty my bullets like w- with you. And then he falls into the oil drum in time for it to like explode. Yeah, yeah. And then everything explodes and he makes a grand escape and 
and he's the the hero. He saved oh, the planet. Yeah, he, 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 he's like uh, doing his uh, floppy arm run, <laughs> jumping over pipes as the entire rig explodes around. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's there's one other death in here that I think is worth mentioning because, again, Seagal had to put this into the movie. Uh, there <laughs> he, is a, he, he kills like 30 people on screen viciously in this movie. Oh, it's yeah. insane. There's, there's another character that we haven't actually mentioned at this point, and that is throughout the entire movie, um, Michael Caine's villainous character is being aided by... Uh, some type of like assistant or executive at his company, this woman who right. is giving yeah. him all oh, the yeah. ideas on how to do PR and all that sort of stuff, right? So she's she's like complicit in everything. She is yep. also there um, at the point where everybody just starts running out of the, the oil uh, the oil rig. Yeah, I don't know how I forgot to mention this. This is one and of the more gruesome deaths. It's, it's so <laughs> funny though because she's just like, fuck that, I'm out of here. And she runs out and gets into her car and goes... I'm out of here and drives away. And then she just looks up and goes, Oh no, throws her arms up in front of her face and drives straight into like a, a head height sheet of metal that I'm assuming leaves <laughs> her head from her body, which is suspended just below like a tanker full of petrol or yeah, oil. She, she, and she, then she, explodes. She gets shredded <laughs> by that steel, but she actually lives uh. long enough to watch the gas slowly oh, creep yeah. towards her car right. and catch on fire and explode her too. So like she gets a solid like 15 seconds of <laughs> I'm in horrible pain from driving into the sheet metal and now I'm going to explode. <laughs> But it's I have just, to anticipate it. It's very oh. funny that that she she doesn't actually get like you know get to get killed directly by Seagal or anything. Um, <laughs> she doesn't she doesn't warrant that apparently. But he's like, do you oh, think it's because he didn't want to kill a woman? Has he ever done that in a movie? I don't know, but I'm gonna say he just forgot. <laughs> I, I think he has no problems with killing a woman. <laughs> I, I think I think he just kind of forgot, and then at some point he was like, oh, maybe, "Maybe maybe this is a good time to, to bring up, up uh, the 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 longest section on his Wikipedia, which is allegations and lawsuits." Yes. <laughs> maybe he wanted to avoid that completely. That's why he didn't ever kill yeah, a woman on screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you if you if you ever have any interest, half of his Wikipedia page is uh, lawsuits and allegations from 1995 to 20. Yeah. Oddly <laughs> enough, not mostly his filmography. <laughs> no. Yes. Kelly Kelly LeBrock but, divorced him amid accusations of uh, domestic violence. Um, lots and lots of lawsuits for sexual harassment. Uh, Jenny McCarthy said that she auditioned for. Uh, like maybe uh, under siege and that he was like, oh, as part of your audition, you have to take off your clothes. Um, <laughs> Steven. Oh, my so God, Steven. Luckily, though, we haven't really been talking about him this whole time. Like he's some great guy. <laughs> oh, no, this yes. guy's an egomaniac. Absolutely. Abs- but, absolutely. But egomaniacs can well, make some very interesting art. <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and that's the thing that's so crazy about all this is because, once again, like Above the Law, the, the the central idea behind the movie is a righteous cause. Right, and, and always his, is. Yeah, and, and, and his idea of getting across that righteous cause <laughs> is that he eviscerates as many human bodies on screen as one could yeah. in the name of... Uh, Whatever it is he's fighting Balancing for. nature. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah... <laughs> Like it's just really whatever it's, hobby it's those, he took up that week. And he's like, I care about pollution now. I'm going to prove how much I love Alaska by setting like 
500,000 liters of oil on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and spilling all the oil into the land that I blow up and everything like that, which is crazy because, again, after this big final set piece oh, where he yes. blows up the entire rig, he goes to the Alaska State Capitol and literally delivers a TED Talk on And it's long, um, too. Pollution. That's stock footage he, of, like, like, animals being covered in oil and pollution and air pollution and factories. Like, it goes on for a good five to ten minutes. Well, there's, and, there's a few the versions thing, of this, right? There's a few. Yeah, the, 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 oh, is there? There's, there's the, uh, the, in the final cut, it's seven minutes long, which is okay, yes. about, about f- five to six minutes too long, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, but the, the story behind it says that he filmed around 40 minutes of footage for this yes. message My and wanted God. to use all of it, right? <laughs> Now, the part that I'm not 100% clear about is that there was a preview screening. He had a lot of pressure from Warner Brothers to cut it down, and there was a preview screening where apparently... Uh, people were, like, throwing shit at the screen people and were, laughing. People were and bo- like- <laughs> booing and laughing for the entire sequence, right? So I don't know whether the original test preview that they showed um, was, like some absolutely wild length or I don't know if it was Dude. like the 11 minutes and then he cut it down to seven. Can you imagine being like 20 minutes in that speech and realizing you're only halfway through? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God. Oh. It's he, like, he the, really like the feeling else. I That's had. Insane. Uh, like the feeling I had the first time I watched uh, Team America. Okay. Where like, yeah. where like uh, it, it was it was just interesting like as a, as a piece of art for someone to say, this is the form that this entire thing is going to take. Like, I'm sure that you've both, <laughs> like, I'm sure you've both read the things about, like, what a nightmare the production of that was because they yeah, just yeah, had to yeah. get puppeteers who could do all the stuff and figure out ways to do it and everything, you know. Yeah, like fucking up a shot where they're blowing up the pyramids and having to set it all up again, all that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, even knowing that going into it, I still had this sensation that I really remember uh, the first time that I watched that, which was about five minutes in, having the conscious thought of, wow, they're really going to do the whole movie like this. <laughs> like, yep. Imagine that's that, but like uh, this speech just going on. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's, on. it's a giant speech about, you know, like the, the, the alternate engines and oil companies and, and, and big business and the corrupt government regulations. And we, we can't even read it all to you. I recommend just like looking it up. Yeah. Because it's long. He, he really he really does just go speak for seven minutes on like very real, um, you know, pollution and real stats and yeah, money. It doesn't and like it's, it's like it's, it, it, it switches from a Seagal film and just turns into his like Al Gore version of a documentary for five minutes. It's very strange. He's yeah. Not even Steven playing Seagal his character. Delivering it. Yeah. Like it's just. Oh, man. Yeah. And and yeah. And, and it, it ends on the big thing of him being like, um you know, as long as there is profit to be made from polluting of our, of our earth, companies and individuals will continue to do what they want. So we have to force these companies to operate safely and responsibly and with all our best interest in mind. So when they don't, we can take back our resources and our hearts and our minds know to do what's right. 
bless all of you. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, and what better way to do that than by like blowing someone's back out with a fucking 12 gauge pump action. Exactly. You know? exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, that is the funniest thing is that, you know, like you've just spent 30 minutes seeing some of the, like some of the biggest squibs of the nineties <laughs> and Steven Seagal, like completely, uh, like murking people like a straight up slasher villain with no regard for human life of any kind. And after he shredded those, you know, human bodies on screen into pulp for your entertainment, he goes, Save the ducks. Now. We need need to protect our land and our hearts and our people. (laughs) This this motherfucker does a seven-minute speech where he talks about plankton for a while. (laughs) Just wild stuff. We gotta look after the plankton, baby. And then I think he like he hugs one of the uh, the native uh, men. I think it's the son of the the older guy, and uh, mm-hmm. and that's it. They're just that they 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 roll the credits yeah, and then there's well, like, and shots there, of nature and uh, there, there's there's a post credit scene of, of him yes. in the boat in the water watching the raven, which the the uh, uh, the old man who was murdered earlier has you know uh, been reborn into this raven. Right, right, yeah. He saved the planet, man. The gall did it. He did it. He did it. World world peace and environmental change has been achieved. That's right. Um, no more the, global uh, warming. The coolest guy on the planet just murking as many people as you can possibly imagine. Until pollution was just wiped out. That's how it works. Imagine. And we thank all for it. <laughs> and this movie opened with him beating the racism out of a man. So what can't he do at this point? Yeah, Ma- exactly. He can solve all good, problems with his fists. Imagine how good he felt when he got that final print back. Just yeah, like, yeah, that's it. That's it. This shit is done. This is my we masterpiece. Got this pollution <laughs> on lock from now on. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm going to agree with him because pivoting towards reductive rating round, this I think is the one Seagal movie thus far that I'm going to give the four to. Hell yeah. Ooh. Um, for basically, you know, just everything that we've said, I think this is, I think that, you know, part of it, I'm in that same realm as Jamie, where you can't tell how much of this is my enjoyment because it's just such a singular artifact that could have only come from one person's brain and not necessarily that it's amazing. But then also that there is actually some pretty good craft on display when it comes to the action work, when it comes to, I mean, I mean, visually that surreal dream sequence, some of the amazing location work that he gets done. I think he learned a lot from the action directors that he worked with on set. He helped produce their movies and he got, you know, as much money as he's ever been personally given. He got as much free reign as he's ever been given. And he said, I want to do Rambo first blood, but as if I was Tom Laughlin's Billy Jack. And (laughs) that is such a crazy idea for a movie. And I think that he nails it. I think he nails both of those movies. Um, and the combination of the two and it's such a weird experience but it's 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 incredible i was genuinely blown away watching this every development i just got more and more into it so yeah yeah me too four for me uh, i'm also there with you this is uh the best seagal film that i've seen so far i've seen four i guess it's the ones that we've covered on the show uh it's just yeah. amazing to me I, that I, I, I think i think out for justice is pretty close oh for me, yeah but that might get a that, four on that that, that movie i spent the whole time dreaming of the john flynn version versus the seagal version yeah me too and this movie i was like it's nothing but pure seagal right and that's why it works <laughs> it's because like like you know steven seagal 
knew that the only man capable of directing Steven Seagal was Steven Seagal. All right. And, uh, and he pulled it off. Like you start off with his uh, glorious entrance, which is just a foot to head and spin, uh, entrance where it's like, yes, that's me. I'm Steven Seagal and I'm on camera. Here we go. Leading up to the, the followed giant, by the cheering of yeah, everyone the cheering, on the set. giant <laughs> explosion where it's just Seagal and a wall of fire in the background. Then the next scene, he's beating people up in a bar by playing slap hands and talking about the essence of a man. And then he's on a vision quest with, uh, with like, it's just, it's one of the most batshit insane things I've ever seen. And it's, it's, it's the way it is purely because an absolute egomaniac got on the helm. So it, it it's, yeah, God got just free control to make what's the coolest movie in his that brain. you would want to watch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's, it's amazing. And I, I think that that, uh, it, it's a, it's a shame that this was the one that failed because I feel like, uh, <laughs> I would have liked to see a couple more directed by Seagulls cause this was insane. It's just pure insanity. So yeah, I had, I had a blast four out of five for you, Andrew. I feel like this is uh, this is the first time that we're gonna go all unanimous, fellas. Nice. Oh, I think uh, I I will also give it the four. I think it's um, yeah, it's 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 not my number one favorite cigar. I reckon that's probably out for justice or fire mm, down nice. below because like we gotta check out fire down below then. Well, with with covering these four, right? You kind of you're getting a large part of the core of what I think of as like the cigar essentials. You know, yeah. Um, because mm-hmm. like past a certain point, past like even the Glimmer Man, which is also hilarious. Uh, <laughs> you got your Under Sieges, Under Siege Two, not that great. Is 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 the Glimmer Man the one with DMX in it? Um, no, that's uh, no. I think that's, uh, that's Exit Wounds. No, Ex- that's what I'm thinking of. Exit Wounds. Okay, I don't know what the Glimmer Man is then. Yeah. Uh, the Glimmer Man is. A one where he it's a buddy cop movie with him and Keenan Ivory Wayans. Yes, to play is, a buddy of somebody. What? A friend. And it's, <laughs> and it's set well, as you can imagine, Keenan Ivory Wayans is very confused by his Oriental ways. Uh and his and his overt <laughs> Buddhism throughout this movie. He and yeah. and I the whole it. the whole setting, it's kind of like a, a moody seven it's raining all the time kind of deal and they're meant to be solving a a serial killer uh case who is the glimmer man and uh and the serial killer is played by steven tobolowski what (laughs) so that one's that one's got a whole vibe to it but uh i I think i'm just deciding i'm just gonna go and watch all the seagulls that i yeah i'm even gonna I'm, i'm even gonna go up to the uh the direct-to-video ones that he's doing now where he's just sitting in a chair and everyone still is like, you're the best, coolest Marine that's yeah. ever lived. And he's just like eating a snack. I do find him just like endlessly fascinating. It's even when he's doing lazy shit, it's it. The, the ego is so big that I can't help but be someone entertained by it. It's, it's insane. Well, look, look, let me, let me highly recommend um, Fire Down Below because that has a lot of the things that you liked about this movie. It's got a environmental message. He plays an EPA <laughs> agent who goes around <laughs> fucking people up. Uh, <laughs> and okay, he just he just cut the he just cut the middleman out there. He's like, I'm gonna work for the I'm gonna be the uh, the CIA agent for the EPA. <laughs> and it's oh it's set God. it's set it's set like in the Appalachians where Chris Christopherson's uh, <laughs> mining operation is burying toxic waste. Uh, in their minds, 
and mm. he he goes down there to sort it out. And um, and of course he becomes southern for this movie because yes, the southerners. Uh, oh so so he's just well, howdy, ma'am, for just the whole <laughs> the whole thing. It's no. great. That's um, like when in Out for Justice, doesn't he try to do like that super New York accent too? Like I love when he tries yes. an accent. It's my yeah. favorite thing in the world. Oh yeah, he goes he goes like super Brooklyn for that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So in yeah. in this movie, in this movie, he uh, goes down there, pretends to be Southern while he's solving this case. Uh, he's wooing Marg Helgen, uh, Helgenberger from like CSI. Uh, and her brother is played by uh, Stephen Lang. <laughs> that his name? Uh, the, the guy from um, the guy from Avatar, you know? Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. that's the right guy. Uh, Stephen Lang doing weird stuff. Like I said, Chris Christopherson is like the big bad guy. Uh, and there's a scene that absolutely blows my fucking mind. I would say it's even more perplexing than the hand slapping scene in this movie, uh, which involves Steven Seagal just wandering over and starting to sit in with a bluegrass band <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> and he just plays. What? <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. Uh, oh, and it's, and God, it's just another it. venue for everybody to say, hey, you know this guy? Super He's cool. pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so Dude, if, you, yeah, you know what? After if you're doing the, anything after next, if you're doing anything next, do, uh, do fire down below because that's... that's I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, go pick it up th- later today. Yeah, I think that is <laughs> my... After the work day today, I think all this weekend will be dedicated to some Seagal films. <laughs> I think yeah, like because I like to, I have been I have been converted on deadly ground. I, I'm interested. I think I'm going to go back and rewatch some of the other ones at some point, too, that we watched yeah, because it was like kind of my first time dealing with Seagal. <laughs> and I feel like on it's deadly ground feels like, you know, like I, I understand. Yes. The Seagal thing. We understand the man now with that the complicated one. man. Yeah, I think um, yeah. I think that maybe the reason that fire down below is probably my favorite of his. Uh, is because it's kind of the perfect synthesis of all of the things about these different movies right before he completely falls off a cliff career-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of, yeah, it's the environmental messaging. It's the mysterious backstory for him. It's that everybody thinks he's super cool and respectable. He has all these amazing talents. Everybody loves him so much. Meanwhile, he just kind of looks like shit and is confusing <laughs> Um, hyper violent with people. It's got Harry Dean Stanton as the old man who gets beat up to make him mad. Uh, it's just <laughs> even though he hardly ever seems like on a personal level when he's talking to people that he ever expresses anything b- beyond like mild annoyance at people. Yeah, well, this yeah. this this movie before brutally massacring them. Well, because because he's going undercover in this movie, he has to win over the the local like. Um, Appalachian town that's suspicious of outsiders. So he has to do a lot of Southern charm in this movie. Uh, so so, so to damn. me, I think okay. that I would probably rank that one first as the movie I go back to the most. Or yeah, for, the, for the reason that I'm really glad we got to get into detail about on this episode, a great deal of detail, which is just how fucking perplexing his successful film career, the beginning of it, yeah, what, like the like, first five years or so. Yeah, yeah, like the. I mean, uh, I think it's maybe the or first like ten. Well, I want to say the first uh, four or five of his movies 
um, were all just like profitable. They were all just money makers right. for the studio, you know. Yeah. Uh, above the law. Yeah. Hard well, no. To yeah. Kill. All, all of all, above the law. Hard to kill. Marked for death. Out for justice. Under siege. Every, and under siege, I think, was the, what the biggest hit. No. Yeah. Everything up to under siege was a money maker for the studio. So it, you know, it was a vindication in the sense of will a mo- movie make money if we put this guy in it? Uh, let alone anyone making a case for him. You know. And then under siege was a big fucking hit. Under siege, uh, I remember being like a big deal. And then mm. he, well, yeah, and, and, and that, that's also above the law director Andrew Davis too. And then he did oh, on Deadly okay. Ground. Uh, immediately had the keys taken back off him uh, <laughs> for directing. Uh, went slid straight into Under Siege Two, which was very underwhelming and not particularly well received. Then he had to do his first non-big star role in Executive Decision. So he's yeah, he's, one with Kurt Russell. I've been meaning to watch that. Yeah, he's he's really on the downward slide at this point. Uh, the Glimmer Man has some very interesting stuff, but you get the sense it's pretty chopped up. Reading interviews with Stephen Tobolowski about the filming of that movie is very interesting. And yeah, then you're sort of into Fire Down Below. And to me, that one's just the... Mwah. So check that one out. I All will right. still give four stars yeah. to this one because isn't it such an important representation of everything that Steven Seagal is and all of oh, the yeah. interesting contradictions that makes? Oh, yeah, it's, it's completely unfiltered and unhinged. Yeah. Seagal, like, <laughs> yeah. com- like all the way, um, which is an absolute blast. The best Highly version recommend. of Seagal for sure. All right. Well, I think that that's going to wrap it up for everything's That was a big episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our three hour <laughs> Seagal episode. <laughs> Hell yeah. Seagal, Seagal earned it. He did. Uh, we are taught. We, we, we just talked about above the law, 1988 and uh, on deadly ground, 1994. Thanks so much, Andrew, for joining us and going crazy with us. I know it's so late in the night for you, but if you've got <laughs> anything um, to plug, uh, this is where we would have you do that. Oh, just uh, check out Bunta Vista. It's a podcast. Check out Bunta Vista. <laughs> Absolutely. Technically Absolutely. a podcast. We were, uh, we were trying to Very figure out how to describe it recently. And uh, I think we settled on uh, the, the least important news stories of the week brought to you by the least informed people. About <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I went I went on uh, for for a Christmas episode just like probably a year or two ago where we talked all of our favorite Christmas uh, genre movies, which was a lot of fun. It was good stuff. Um, so definitely check out Andrew. Check out Boonta Vista. And uh, for our listeners, we are going to be back in one week's time where we are going to be doing your patron voted episode, um, which speaking of which, we are going to have the new poll going up for patrons soon where you guys get to nominate the double features and then vote on them and whatnot. But we're, we're going to be next week. We're going to be doing the last one you guys voted on, which is a crazy episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, 1974 by Sam Peckinpah. And Billy Friedkin's Sorcerer from 1977. Ooh, buddy. Oh, wow. Which is a really insane pairing. It's probably going to be another massive episode. <laughs> yep. And it was uh, nominated by Riley Pelling, who uh, pitched it as foreigners on long, futile, nihilistic journeys through <laughs> Latin America. And that is a very good description of both of those films. So we are going to be talking about those two. It's going to be crazy. That's your uh, your bonus episode uh, exclusive on Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash podcast for that. And then next week uh, after, sorry, two weeks from this episode, we're going to be having um, special guests from the Important Cinema Club podcast, uh, Will Sloan and his co-host Justin DeClue. And we nice. are going to be talking about Albert Pion Hell for yeah. the first time um, with uh, Justin, who actually wrote the book on Albert Pion. 
or Pion. I always mess up how to say his name. But we, we, we talked about him once with the Jean-Claude Van Damme film Cyborg. Oh, yes. yes. Which is Jean-Claude Van Damme um, uh, drop-kicking the apocalypse. I like and this world. Then, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and we talked about Nemesis as well, which is an incredible film. And so on the next one, we're going to be talking with them. We're going to be talking about Radioactive Dreams, which is his almost kind of like weird Streets of Fire-esque noir film that Pion did. And we're going to be uh, pairing that with his movie Doll Man, which is another kind of quasi-apocalyptic noir that uh, involves a a detective who is very tiny. (laughs) you're You're getting into the full moon features. That's right. That's right. We're going. We're going crazy in uh, two weeks' time. Oh man! Uh, yeah. That being said, I think that wraps it up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. Hell yeah. <laughs>